Jay, can you hear me? Uh, yes, I can. Yeah. Okay, I guess I was on mute. Uh, I, let me go ahead and uh, go back and go through our agenda for tonight. We're going to start with some short track news. We'll preview the ARCA West Championship race at Phoenix Raceway, and then we're going to preview the NASCAR Truck, Xfinity, and Cup Series championship races all at Phoenix Raceway. Our Hot Topic Sound Off will start at 10 p.m. Eastern Time. This is Fan for Racing Radio on Thursday, November the 3rd. Welcome to the show, Jay. Well, thank you, and I, I was just sending a message to double-check with that. Uh, we've all done it. Um, I was like, I think she might have muted herself. So, But kick this show off. Uh, I know it's our last preview show of the year, so, Sharon, it's my last opportunity to thank you once again for letting me be a part of Fan for Racing and all the opportunities that have come from it, to include getting to drive a cup card over there at the fair racing experience in Atlanta. That would be high on the list. Uh, so thank you so much, Sharon. It's been a great – I've been four years, four-plus years now. Well, I'll tell you what, you've been a great addition to our Fan for Racing crew. Uh, I enjoy doing the uh, preview shows for you, and I always appreciate the fact that you are always willing to step in when we need a sub on Monday nights as well. So thank you, thank you, thank you for all that you do here at Fan for Racing. We're all here because we love it, and we love this weekend while we don't like it. It's last race of the year, but it's the championship weekend. I <laughs> know. Uh, it's a big weekend, one we've been looking forward to all season long. Uh, but it does mark the end of the season, and uh, the last uh, race uh, we'll have to wait, a, uh, what is it, a month and a half or maybe two and a half months before we get a chance to see the racing back on track. But uh, definitely looking forward to it. Um, I will tell you, let's go ahead and get into the short track news because uh, I want to make sure we cover that. Um, <clears throat> Solid Rock Carriers are going to battle the stars. It has been moved, actually, to March 4th of 2023. So there was a scheduling conflict that both forced the postponement of the $20,000 to win late model stock car race. So it was supposed to be taking place on Sunday, November the 13th, uh, but um, unfortunately they've had to uh, reschedule it because of that scheduling conflict. I want to make sure everybody knew that. And that's one with such a big event. Uh, there is so much that goes into it. I know fans are like, how can you just cancel it? Because it takes so much and so many people, and I don't know the specifics as to the scheduling conflict, but um, to make sure that they can do it right for the fans, it's a tough decision for a track, a series, anybody to make to postpone or change something, but they do do it in the best interest of the fans. Absolutely. And uh, just mark your calendars for March 4th of 2023 if you're interested in that race because it will take place. It's just going to be delayed a little bit. So the Snowball Derby and the Snowflake Interlist have been reviewed. The Snowball Derby is going to take place on December 1st uh, this year. And uh, so far there's uh, 47 entries. 
and I expect to see that maybe even grow a little bit more. I know that's one that drivers talk about. They just don't know if they can compete with um, compete in. Um, you know, based on again the scheduling conflict, they don't want to commit to something and have to pull out. So a lot of times you see that. But that that is when we just talked about the off season. We still got a little bit of racing throughout the uh, the month uh, that we're not NASCAR racing, and this is one of them, and it's a big one. And I just looking right at the entry list. I we've talked about him, William Solich. He is from uh-huh. Eden Prairie, Minnesota. That is like ten, fifteen miles from where I grew up. I did not know that was where he was from. Oh, okay. Well, that's pretty cool. Uh, Derek Krause is on this list, as well as Derek Griffin, Carson Hosefar, Jacob Gomes, Chandler Smith, Sammy Smith, uh, just some of the ones that I know people will recognize, William Byron, Bubba Pollard, Josh Berry, Casey Roderick, Carson Quapple, Jake Garcia, Daniel Dye, Derek Thorne. Um, who are some of the other ones that you recognize, Jay? From that point forward, uh, recognize you got Jake Finch, Stephen Nasty. Uh, what I was kind of looking at here is the range, looking at the states, just that Minnesota caught my eye. But you got Idaho, California. I saw one from Colorado. I, we got one from Cole Butcher from Porter's Lake, Nova Scotia, Canada. That's what I love about this event is they come from all over. They definitely do. Some other names that I think folks will recognize, uh, you mentioned Cole Butcher, Matt Craig, it was recently mentioned uh, in racing, uh, Corey Heim, Ty Majewski, uh, Blaine Rocha, Lenny White. Uh, these are all names uh, that a lot of NASCAR fans will be familiar with, but you're right. Folks are coming from near and far. And then there's also the Alan Turner Snowflake 100, 38 entries on the list for that race. And, again, we've got people from everywhere, from Rockford, Illinois. Jeremy Miller is on this list. Um, let me see if I recognize any. Brittany Zamora, Bubba Pollard, uh, Cole Williams, Casey Roderick, uh, Jake Garcia, Derek Thorne, Connor Jones, Preston Peltier, Stephen Nassi, uh, Grant Thompson, Jarrett Butcher. Uh, let's see here. Jeremy Doss, Derek Griffin. Uh, a lot of people that we recognize in the racing world, and probably some that I missed, but uh, both of these races are going to be huge. And here's what, here's what I love is you got those big names like that. Some of them are moved up to top NASCAR levels, but they still come back and race this event. But then you mentioned the ones we may not know. I mean, who in the heck knows where Eden Prairie, Minnesota is, other than those of us that grew up in that area? You get the drivers like that. That is a place where they can make their name, it make it become known, such as an Eric Jones. Exactly. Uh, it, it's uh, one that we look forward to every year, 
and in fact, I'm thinking we need to do a show after the snowflake, after both of those races, the snowflake and the snowball derby, uh, because we'll definitely want to review uh, the winners of both of those events and uh, the races that take place out there in Pensacola, Florida, at Five Flags Speedway. Uh, so stay tuned for more on that. I've got to kind of get with the group here and see if well, maybe we can do a quick review of uh, those races and then maybe another Hot Topic Sound Off segment before uh, we end the year. Well, you know, I would do whatever possible to be a part of that. I don't know this year, based on my schedule, that I'll be able to be down there, but we should be able to get some on-site pictures as well as uh, describe the action through a mental picture, if you will, because I believe Sal uh, is going to that one yet again this year, if I'm not mistaken. Yeah, I don't know that. He, I think he's maybe missed one, right? Well, he, he hadn't gone for a long time, and then he started going maybe about uh, three or four years ago, and he's been at everyone since. Uh, he's really enjoyed it there. And then Ricky Brooks, the guy who uh, takes care of the technical inspections at uh, Five Flags Speedway, he ended up uh, doing technical inspections also for uh, the winter showdown that takes place out at uh, out in California. So as part of the SRL, and has become uh, a big national event as well, drawing people from all over the United States and Canada and all over. And so uh, very similar on the West Coast with the Winter Showdown. Well, and that's a name, if you're familiar with the, uh, especially the Snowball Derby, the Room of Doom, when you talk about Ricky Brooks and technical inspection, uh, a month uh-huh. out, a week out, if you're even thinking about trying to push the limits, you're going to get a warning from him because he just knows it. <laughs> you're not going to get away with anything when it comes to his inspection. <laughs> yes, indeed. He is very serious about the position that he has, and uh, he he uh, is very serious that whoever is going to celebrate in Victory Lane is going to be somebody who has done it the legal way. And uh, I really appreciate that about Ricky Brooks. I think that is super, super important. Yeah, uh, that, that's one, uh, like I said, I mean, there is no doubt about it. He is well-known, and, you know, he'll stand on his own if he has to. He's got no friends when it comes to that. Uh, it's either legal or it's not no questions asked, no, no, you know, margin of error at all. Exactly right. Uh, let's see, is there anything else yet going through either Flow Racing or Racing America? Anything else that you want to make sure we mention before we close up this segment? We've got about uh, two and a half minutes. No, I think those were the big two uh, looking at Racing America. Again, there's always going to be some more racing going on throughout the country, um, through the winter months as well. I know uh, we haven't really talked a whole lot about it, but the, the not the snowball, chili bowl uh, will be coming up. There's been some talk about that and whether where that's going to um, come out at, I think is still a huge event to, to look at though. So, and I know that Flow Racing will be covering that. Um, locally, I know we still got a couple events scheduled, one of them postponed till next weekend due to weather, but Thanksgiving weekend, if you're looking for a local track, a lot of tracks do a Thanksgiving weekend one. So if you're looking for something to do with the family on Thanksgiving weekend, 
check out your local racing. Well, keep in mind, too, that the South Carolina 400 at Florence, uh, that race, let me see if I can get a date here. Uh, I know the 21 events saw 52 cars, but uh, the big news here is that uh, Dale Earnhardt Jr. is going to run that race. It's Saturday, November. It's, let's see, Flow Racing will be live at Florence Motor Speedway on Friday, November 8th, and Saturday, November 19th, and Dale Jr. is going to be there. He's going to be driving his throwback scheme at Florence uh Speedway in the South Carolina 400. So that's going to be fun to see. I certainly will. We've seen that, and we've seen Dale Earnhardt Jr. Uh, increasing. I know with the sponsorship deal, they announced he's going to do two Xfinity Series races, and mm-hmm. this is his second or maybe third uh, late model event um, for the year. So we know he was a big push with uh, North Wilkesboro getting back on the NASCAR schedule. So I think we're going to see him maybe step out and do a few more of these events as well uh, based on what that means for the sport as a whole. Absolutely. Uh, Anything that Dale Jr. seems to get involved, uh, people are interested. Uh, uh, Multi-time most popular driver in NASCAR, so uh, it is going to be fun uh, to to see him anytime he's on the track. Okay, let's go ahead and move on, Jake. We we do need to review the ARCA West Desert Diamond Casino West Valley 100 at Phoenix Raceway this weekend. It is the season finale uh, for the ARCA Menard Series West, and uh, the, the championship is all but determined. I think all they have to do is start the race, and we know who the champion's going to be. But that race is going to take place tomorrow night, Friday, November the 4th, at 11.30 a.m. Mountain Time. That equates to 2.30 p.m. Eastern Time. It will be available via live streaming on Flow Racing. You can listen to the radio at arcaracing.com. And uh, it is a one-mile paved trioval. They'll be racing 100 laps on Thursday, November the 3rd, today, uh, they had practice and qualifying from 6.30 to 7.45 Mountain Time. Then Friday, tomorrow, the Diamond, the Desert Diamond Casino West Valley 100 will be 100 laps. That's 100 miles at 11.30 a.m. Mountain Time, 2.30 p.m. Eastern Time. Uh, this is going to be a, a nice one, even though we know who the champion's going to be, there's some other uh, positions that people are fighting for. Yeah, there definitely is a lot going on with this 2022 Arkham and Ard Series West season, wrapping up there with the return visit to Phoenix Raceway, as you mentioned on Friday. Jake Drew, by taking the green flag in the Desert Diamond Casino West Valley 100, will officially clinch his first championship after a dominant season. Um but the race will be the 11th event of the 2022 West Series season and the 50th visit by the series to this one-mile paved trioval out there in Avondale, Arizona. That's true. The West Series actually made their debut at what is now known as Phoenix Raceway in 1977, Jay, when the NASCAR Hall of Famer Cale Yarborough was victorious in a 156-lap event. 
Other winners at Phoenix in the West Series competition through the years include Richard Petty, Bobby Allison, Alan Kulwicki, Bill Elliott, Dale Earnhardt, Davey Allison, Mark Martin, Tara Labonte, Ricky Rudd, Ken Schrader, Joey Logano, Ryan Blaney, Ty Gibbs, David Gilliland, and most recently, Taylor Gray. So tickets are still available if you want to get out there uh, to watch uh, this big event. And when we're talking about Jake Drew, uh, his racing life is so different than it was just a year ago. Uh, in 2021, uh, Drew was the driver of the number six Ford for team owner Bob Brugatti. Uh This year, he lost the Arkham, Arkham Menard Series West Championship via the tiebreaker to Jesse Love uh, following that finale there at Phoenix. Now, entering the 2022 West Series finale this Friday, he only needs to start the race to officially secure that series championship. So in a perfect world, Drew would like to end the 22 2022 season by winning uh, at Phoenix, but he'll have his work cut out for him if he hopes to do that. Among the drivers that Drew is going to be battling this Friday are Sammy Smith, the reigning Arkham Art Series East champion. He also won the last three Arkham Art Series races of the season in his number 18 TMC Toyota for Kyle Busch Motorsports. Now, Smith sat on the pole for the West Series opener at Phoenix in March, but even though he was the pole winner, he finished third. The man who won the race in March is Taylor Gray, and he's returning to Phoenix in pursuit of another West Series victory. Gray dominated the most recent West Series race at the Bullring in Las Vegas, and will look to cap off the season with his sixth win of the season across the ARCA platform. And then you got to look at Venturini Motorsports as they will head to Phoenix with four entries, and that includes Jesse Love, Landon Pimbleton, Parker Chase, and Connor Jones. We got NASCAR Camping World Truck Series regular Carson Hosevar. We heard his name on several entry lists uh, here, but he'll be making his first West Series start aboard a Nice Motorsports Chevrolet, while Jake Finch returns to the West Series competition for the second time this year in Phoenix Racing's number one. There's also Landon Lewis, Cole Moore, Tanner Reif, all winners in the West Series competition this year, and they're hoping to add uh, Phoenix Raceway to their list of uh, respective stat sheets of wins. Other entrants include Vegas runner-up Andres Perez de Lara, really impressed with what I saw at the bullring, Katie Hedinger, Christian Rose, Kyle Keller, Joey East, R.J. Smotherman, Buddy Shepard, Bridget Burgess, Takuma Koga, and Todd Souza. So uh, have you checked out the entry list, Jay? There's a lot of names on this. Yeah, I did glance over it, and I think we hit on a lot of the highlights of it. But, uh, again, Buddy Shepard is one. Um, I don't think we got mentioned in there. I think he'll be one to watch. And, again, this is the type of race where a driver can make his name known. You mentioned we know who's going to be the champion, but there's a lot of things to be settled within the rest of the points for the West Series, as well as new drivers coming in, getting one of limited starts, going to be making their name. 
Well, let's cover the points so that people know what the points are going into this race. All right. And just how close Uh, it is. All right. Jake Drew is sitting at the top through the 10 races so far. Four wins, nine top fives, all of them being top 10. So that tells you how tough it was to try and catch him. Uh, Four poles, his average start, 3.5, average finish, 2.7. And that has built him a 56-point lead over Tanner Reif, who's picked up two victories, uh, sits back 56 points. But right behind him, Cole Moore, 57 points back. That means there's only one point between the two of them. Another nine points back, you have Todd Souza, who's in the fourth spot at minus 66. Uh, so there's going to be a battle right there. Obviously, one point difference, nine points is, makeable, is doable within one race, especially with this entry list. Uh, fifth place is Joey East. Sixth is Takuma Koga and Bridget Burgess in seventh. Those drivers have all made all 10 starts. And let's see, Takuma Koga and Bridget Burgess, they're only five points apart. So there's a points battle you're going to look at. Uh, I mentioned Landon Lewis, Andrew Tuttle, and Paul Pedronacilli Jr. rounding out the uh, top 10. They got seven, nine, and seven starts respectively. There's about 20 points uh, there between... uh, Two of them, there's another two-point gap. So, again, there's going to be points battles throughout. And then, like I said, just different drivers uh, making one of limited starts that that might lead to a full-time ride for them next year, depending on their showing there. Exactly right. Uh, This is where these drivers get their visibility and exposure, uh, especially on the same stage as NASCAR's top three series. Uh, They're going to be racing on Friday night uh, with the Cup Series, the Xfinity Series, and the Truck Series all racing for championships as well out of Phoenix Raceway. So this is a huge stage for a lot of these drivers to get their name out there and to be known uh, for future opportunities within NASCAR. And I know we've talked about it before. The the one name we did see on there was Carson Hosevar. I thought there might be a couple more young drivers, um, especially when it, when you talk about the truck series. Uh, I'm trying to think one of them that's uh, watched the interview today who has two starts uh, at Phoenix Raceway. So I thought we might see a couple more drivers um, looking to get some experience, but uh, they have their own championship to worry about. So, you know, they might be more focused on that. Exactly right. I'm trying to see previous winners here. Uh, Taylor Gray is a previous winner uh, of the entry list. I think Taylor Gray is the only uh, previous winner on the entry list. So he's definitely going to be one to watch this weekend. Most certainly. You gave his stats on what he's done uh, on the year. We know about their truck series deal going forward now with Toyota. Um, So that's a good one to get that experience, you know, a little bit more track time no matter where it is as he gets ready to move up to the truck series to run full-time. Yes, indeed. And a big name change uh, for David Gilliland Racing for the 2023 season with Tricon Garage. Uh, And uh, just kind of keep that in mind as you think about the next season. Uh, It's going to be pretty much the same team, but it is going to be a whole different name uh, for next season. 
I, I apologize for that. You're right. Uh, I, I forgot our discussion on that. I will work on that uh, throughout the off season. It, it is going to be the Tricon garage uh, for that Toyota team now moving forward with David Gillen. Also, uh, if you'd like to get to know a little bit more about Jake Drew, there's a nice article about him at ArcaRacing.com. He says he's feeling relaxed and feeling no stress ahead of the season finale, and that's because of that 56-point lead that Jay was talking about. Uh, all he has to do is start the race, and he's going to be the 2022 ARCA West champion. There's a lot of other articles there, as you mentioned, on Arkham Menard's uh, homepage. Um, some drivers we're going to see in the truck series are drivers we haven't heard where they're going to be yet, but we expect Nick Sanchez securing his 2022 Arkham Menard Series uh, championship. Sammy Smith winning his second Arkham Menard Series East championship, as well as then runner-up in the Arkham Menard Series, Daniel Dye, what he did in the 2022 season, as well as his future plans. So a lot of great information there at the Arkham Menard Series homepage. There definitely is. And uh, they, I want to do a big shout-out for ARCAracing.com. They do a great job of letting everybody know what's happening in the Arkham Menard Series, uh, which is now a part of the NASCAR umbrella, if you will. Uh, so uh, it's something that we follow very closely. And uh, if you want to know the broadcast schedule, they have that posted there for all of the series, uh, including the Arca Menard series, the Arca West, and the Arca East. Uh, and they also let you know which races under the Arkham and Art Series are the Sioux Chief Showdown races. So keep that in mind. Uh, I know this season is pretty much over, but keep that in mind for next season uh, that you can follow that broadcast schedule uh, throughout the year. <laughs> well, and that is one of the articles. I had to see if it was still linked there. Uh, I see it second from the bottom. Uh, pieces of the 2023 ARCA schedule have already come together along with the NASCAR National Series release. So they don't have the full set uh, layout yet, but we're already starting to see that come together. And I am excited for that, Sharon. I know you and I both really enjoy that Sioux Chief Showdown portion of it, the series within yeah. the series for these young guys. Yes, indeed. We really enjoy it. And uh, I just enjoy all of the ARCA racing. I think uh, they've, they've got a good program. And uh, I'm really looking forward to the 2023 season uh, because I know that there are some drivers uh, that are working hard uh, and, and ready to make announcements sometime soon about uh, what they're going to do for the next season. And uh, I'm curious to see the new names that show up as well as some of the uh, regulars that we know of, uh, some of those regulars will be moving up into NASCAR's top three, either in the Xfinity Series or the uh, NASCAR Truck Series. So uh, it's always fun to watch these drivers climb that ladder, and uh, a lot of it starts uh, with short track racing all around the country that includes the Arkham Art Series. And, and that ties, it ties back to the list we read for, like, the Snowball Derby or these other late model races we, we, we talk about because those are the ones then that step into these Arkham Menards East-West series or Arkham Menards series. So, again, you're already at least aware of the name. 
and have uh, some familiarity with who they are when they come into that series. And then by the time they get to the Xfinity or um, NASCAR's top three touring series, I mean, they're bringing a fan base with them, and not just a, a local fan base, but a national fan base, thanks to some of these platforms like Flow Racing and Racing America. Exactly. Uh, okay, now um, we're going to go ahead and move on here, Jay, because uh, we've got a lot to cover. Uh, we're going to spend 20 minutes tonight on each of NASCAR's top three series, uh, starting with the truck series, and then we'll go to the Xfinity series around uh, 940, and then at uh, 9, I'm sorry, at 920 we'll go to the Xfinity series. At 940 we'll move on to the NASCAR Cup series. So uh, a lot to cover here. We'll start with the Camping World Truck Series. The Lucas Oil 150 at Phoenix Raceway on Friday, November the 4th. So we talked about the Arca West race also being on Friday, so it's going to be a doubleheader. This one starts at 9 p.m., I'm sorry, 10 p.m. Eastern. The purse is $817,025. It will be televised on Fox Sports 1 at 9 p.m. Eastern with pre-race coverage. Now, radio coverage is going to be on MRN as well as Sirius XM NASCAR Radio. They'll be racing a distance of 100 miles. That means 100 laps on this one-mile track. There's 45 laps in Stage 1 and Stage 2. Stage 1 ends on lap 45, Stage 2 on lap 90. And then the final stage ends on the last lap, which is 60 laps. And uh, that last lap is lap 150. So uh, let's start with our truck series uh, news here. Well, and it starts with another tie-in as we have the 2022 NASCAR Advanced Auto Parts Weekly Series National Champion Lane Riggs back in the trucks. He's the youngest NASCAR Advanced Auto Parts Weekly Series National Champion in series history. It'd be Lane Riggs making his third start of the 2022 season in the NASCAR Camping World Truck Series this weekend at Phoenix Raceway. They'll be piloting the number 62 Halmar Friesen Racing Toyota. Now, Lane Riggs is the son of former NASCAR Cup Series driver Scott Riggs. He has the two previous Camping World Truck Series starts this season, both for Halmar Friesen Racing. In his series debut at Lucas Oil Indianapolis Raceway Park, uh, he started 23rd, raced his way up to a 7th place finish. Great career start. Uh, then in his second career start, though, at Richmond, he started 4th, but ended up finishing 19th. But he'll like to look to build on those first two starts at Phoenix this weekend. Okay, there's also the Sunoco Rookie of the Year update. And Kyle Busch Motorsports' Corey Heim leads the rookie class with 459 points. Coming in second is Nice Motorsports' Lawless Allen. He has 275 points, followed by GMS Racing's Jack Wood at 271 points. In fourth place, again, Nice Motorsports' Dean Thompson has 263 points. And closing out the rookie class is Blaine Perkins from CR7 Motorsports with 191 points. Now, next up, uh, we're going to go over some stats here for each of the championship four drivers. Uh, I'm not sure how you want to do this, Jay, if uh, you want to go... Um, 
every other point here, or, yeah, why don't we do that? We'll start with uh, Ben right. Rose, and then we'll kind of go every other uh, paragraph here. All right, let me find back up. Uh, okay, if you're starting at the bottom, Chandler Smith is actually at the bottom, if you want to start with him. Yes, so let's do that. Okay, all right. Uh, Chandler Smith, he's driver of the number 18 Kyle Busch Motorsports Toyota for this year. He heads to Phoenix this weekend with a mountain of confidence because he won the NASCAR Camping World Truck Series season finale last season, but he was eliminated from the playoffs in the round of eight. This season, for the first time in his Truck Series career, he has a shot at the title. Okay, taking a look at his stats uh, for the Truck Series season stats, he has three wins. He won at Las Vegas, Pocono, and Richmond. He has eight top fives, which include 15 top tens. He's led 440 laps. His average start this season is 7.3. His average finish, though, is at 9.0. When we look at his total Camping World Truck Series career, which runs from the 2019 season through the present, he's had 60 starts, picking up five wins, 22 top fives, and 33 top tens. A one pole coming in 2021. Been out front for 746 laps. Uh, career stats a little bit higher. Average start 8.9 and the average finish 12.8. As far as the playoff, uh, his stats from 21 to 22, he has three playoff wins, including Bristol and Phoenix in 21, and then Richmond this year. He also has 13 starts with four top fives and eight top 10s now some key stats for phoenix he's got three starts one being the win in 2021 three top fives all three of them being top fives and top tens led a total of 40 laps the average start nine point very solid finish average finish of 2.3 that's impressive Okay, his crew chief is Danny Stockman, Jr., and he's made his way around NASCAR, having experience in all three national series. He first joined NASCAR Camping World Truck Series in 2010 when he led driver Austin Dillon. Uh, the Duke would win the NASCAR Camping World Championship in the 2011 season, and Stockman also led Dillon to the Xfinity Series title in 2013. Stockman joined Kyle Busch Motorsports in 2020, collaborating with several drivers in the number 51 team. Then he switched to the 18 team in 2021 and has worked full-time with Chandler Smith ever since. In, in Stockman's 115 Camping World Truck Series starts as a crew chief, he's posted 13 wins, 41 top fives, and 66 top tens and 14 poles. Impressive. Now, those those stats might look like uh, Chandler Smith the favorite, but don't count this guy out. You mentioned him, the number 99 Thor Sport Racing Toyota of Ben Rhodes. He is the defending series champion, and he'll have his chance at becoming just the second driver in NASCAR Camping World Truck Series history to win back-to-back championships, joining his Thor Sport Racing teammate, Matt Crafting, who did it in 2013 and 14. Now, this is just the second time he has qualified for the championship four round in the series. So we'll look at his, starting with his yearly stats. 
Correct. Uh, going with this season, he has one win. He won on the Bristol Dirt Track. He has seven top fives and 12 top tens. He's led 263 laps. His average start is 11.2 with an average finish at 12.1. For his career, which goes back from 2014 to the present, is a total of 163 starts, picking up six victories, 48 top fives, 88 top tens, along with five poles, and leading 1,098 laps. His career average start is 9.0, average finish 11.6. Okay, his uh, playoff stats from 17-18, 21 and 22. He has one playoff win that was in Las Vegas of 2020. He has 34 starts, 11 top fives, 18 top tens, and two poles. When it comes to his Phoenix Raceway stats, he's had a total of seven starts there in Arizona, three top fives and four top tens, led 48 laps, the average start is good at 5.1. The average finish, 9.3. You might need to come down a little bit on that. Okay. We'll see what happens this weekend. His crew chief is Rich Lucius. Rich uh, Lucius got his first start as a crew chief in the truck series in 2016 when he ran one race with driver Ryan Truex. Lucius then ran the full-time season with Myatt Snyder in 2018 before joining Rhodes in the 99 Thorsport Racing Team full-time in 2021. In the first full season together, Rhodes and Lucius won the Camping World Truck Series title, and they're now looking to go back-to-back. In his five years in the Truck Series as a crew chief, he's made 70 starts, posting three wins, 18 top fives, and 36 top tens. And that's only two of the four. We'll take a look at another one, and this is one I'm scroll all the way up. There we go. Uh, I heard his interview today. He just doesn't want to finish second. Uh, Zane Smith <laughs> driving the number 38 front row motorsports forward. He heads to Phoenix this weekend, hoping his third time is the charm as he'll be competing in the championship four round for the third consecutive season. The previous two have resulted in runner-up finishes in that championship standings. Smith is hoping to deliver front row motorsports its front its first NASCAR Camping World Truck Series title. Okay, let's take a look at his season stats. He has three wins this season at Daytona, Coda, and Kansas. 13 top fives, 18 top tens. He's led 415 laps. He has an average start of 10.1, and his average finish is a little bit better at 8.0. We look at his relatively short career coming from 2018 to the present. Present uh, includes 68 starts. He's got six wins as well, 24 top fives, and 46 top tens. He's been out front, led 922 laps. Here that uh, start and finish a little bit reversed. Average start 8.7, and the average finish of 10.4. Okay, and as far as his playoff stats from 2020 to 2022, he has one playoff win that came at Martinsville last year. Also, 20 starts, 
nine top fives, and 13 top tens. And we look to Phoenix. He does have two starts there, both of them being top fives and top tens. Led 48 laps. The average start is 7.5. And another one right there, the average finish, 3.5. Pretty good stats there for him. His crew chief is Chris Lawson. Uh, He has five years' experience in the truck series and is in his first full-time season with Zane Smith and is third with the number 38 front row motorsports team. In 81 career starts as a crew chief uh, in the NASCAR Camping World Truck Series, Lawson has led two drivers to wins, including Todd Gilliland, who won at COTA in 2021, and then Zane Smith, who has uh, Daytona COTA wins in uh, I guess that's 21, and then in Kansas in 22. I think that's how that goes. His teams have also finished in the top five 26 times and in the top ten a whopping 45 times. Three very solid contenders, and we got a fourth. I don't know if you can say he's got the momentum right now, but Ty Majeski, driver of the number 66, Thor Sport Racing, uh, heads into Phoenix Raceway this week to make his first career appearance in the NASCAR Camping World Truck Series Playoffs Championship Four round. He's looking to become the third different driver to win the Camping World Truck Series title for Thor Sport Racing, as he would join Matt Crafton, who has three, the back-to-back in 2013 and 14, and then again in 2019, and last year's winner, Ben Rhodes, who has one. Okay, looking at his season stats, he has two wins at Bristol and Homestead, 10 top fives, 15 top tens, and three poles. He's led 306 laps, and his average start is a 7.8, his average finish at 9.6. His career is a little bit lower in numbers, uh, running from 2019 through the present year, 2022. He's got 42 starts. Two wins, uh, two top, or 10 top fives, and 20 top tens. Led 306 laps. The average start, 11.4. Average finish, 13.4. Okay, his playoff stats. Two playoff wins. He won at Bristol and again at Homestead, Miami. He has six starts in the playoff with three top fives and five top tens. Mentioned the limited starts. Uh, Phoenix Raceway, he only has one start, and that was an 11th place finish. His crew chief is Joe Shearer Jr. Uh, he has experience dating back to 1995 and has made a mark in all three of NASCAR's national series. He first began as a crew chief in the Camping World Truck Series in 1998. Since then, he's made 330 total series starts. He won the 2016 championship with Johnny Sauter. Plus, over the last 18 years, in those 330 starts, he's posted 26 wins, 108 top fives, 174 top tens, and 14 poles. This is his first full-time season with Ty Majeski, but he did have a one-off race with him during the 2021 season as well. The duo have combined to put up two wins, 10 top fives, 15 top tens, and 23 series starts. 
Well, so when we look at it, after a week to get their trucks ready for this championship weekend, they were, the tr- NASCAR Camping World Truck Series will be the first to name their champion as they gear up for the Lucas Oil 150 on Friday, November 4th to decide which of those four championship contenders we just covered will finish the highest this weekend and win the 2022 title. Now, Phoenix Raceway has hosted 31 NASCAR Camping World Truck Series races. It's produced 21 different race winners and just as many pole winners. Seven of the 31 races have been won from the, from the pole or first starting position, most recently Chandler Smith in 2021. Kevin Harvick holds the race record at 108.014 CD accomplished in 2002 and also has the most wins under his belt at four. Ron Hornaday Jr. has the most top fives at 10 and top 10s at 13, while the three-time NASCAR Camping World Truck Series champion Matt Crafton sits with the most lap let, most laps, with the most lead lap finishes, sorry, most lead lap finishes at 18, and then laps completed at 3,097. The 2022 season will mark the third time running from 2020 through 2022 that Phoenix Raceway has hosted this Camping World Truck Series championship race, the Lucas Oil 150. From 2016 to 19, the playoff season finale was held at Homestead Miami Speedway before it was moved to Phoenix in 2020. Since the inception of the playoffs in 2016, the Camping World Truck Series, the two of the six winners of the championship race have also claimed the championship that season. That was Brett Moffitt in 2018 and Sheldon Creed in 2020. Uh, If we look at, let's see here, the championship race winner in 2016, it was William Byron at Homestead, Chase Briscoe in 2017, Um, Brett Moffitt in 2018 mentioned, and then Austin Hill in 2019, the last one to do it at Homestead. At Phoenix, it's been Sheldon Creed in 2020, and then Chandler Smith in 2021. The NASCAR Camping World Truck Series, again, will kick off this championship weekend. They'll have practice on Thursday, November 3rd, um, 8.05 Eastern, it looks like. It won't be televised, but they'll make their qualifying runs on Friday, November 4th at 6 p.m. Eastern time, and that will be covered on FS1. Okay, I'll take the segment that you skipped. (laughs) The stage is set at Phoenix Raceway up next for the championship four round. Uh, the champions, the truck series concluded the playoff round of eight at Homestead Miami Speedway on October the 22nd and locked in the four drivers that will compete to take home the title and be named the Camping World Truck Series, series champion. With another win by Thor Sport Racing's Ty Majeski at Homestead Miami, the remaining spots were filled in on points. The three drivers, of course, that, that we've already been talking about here tonight that will be joining Ty Majeski will be Front Row Motorsports' Zane Smith, Kyle Busch Motorsports' Chandler Smith, and Thor Sport Racing's Ben Rhodes. All four drivers are given the one-mile Arizona track a go at least once. So let's... let's uh, Let's uh, see if we can find out who's going to be the champion when all is said and done. Okay, we're going to go ahead now and move on 
to the Xfinity Series, also their season finale for the championship four. That races the NASCAR Xfinity Series championship at Phoenix Raceway this Saturday, November the 5th at 6 p.m. Eastern Time. The purse here is $1,645,625. It will be televised on USA at 5.30 p.m. Eastern and radio coverage on MRN and Sirius XM NASCAR radio. Again, 200 miles is 200 laps. The first two stages, again, will be 45 laps each. Stage 1 ends on 45, lap 45. Stage 2 on lap 90. And then the final stage will actually be 110 laps in this case with the Xfinity Series. Well, and when we get onto the news here, one of the things we mentioned of and driver announcements, we got one. Garrett Smithley is going to compete with BJ McLeod Motorsports in 2023. And Garrett Smithley will be running a full-time season with BJMM behind the wheel of the number 78 Chevrolet in the Xfinity Series for 2023. Now, Smithley has been a full-time NASCAR driver since 2015. He's made 200-plus starts across NASCAR's National Series and put up some great finishes, including a top-five finish in Daytona in 2018 and a top-10 finish at Talladega that same year. Okay. Uh, We're going to introduce to you the Championship Four in the Xfinity Series, and uh, I think we'll do the same thing. We'll go every other paragraph here. You want to hit Rookie of the Year first? Um, yeah, let's do that. Did I skip that? I was looking ahead. (laughs) Okay, the Sunoco Rookie of the Year update. The only rookie who made it into the 2022 playoffs this season was Austin Hill. He continues to lead the rookie class with 2,245 points. RCR's teammate, his RCR teammate is Sheldon Creed. He slides in next at 713 points. Then Kyle Sieg sits in third at 182 points, and Jesse Awuji takes the final rookie spot with 94 points. Uh, so let's uh, let's take a look at the four contenders, starting with Justin Algauer, Jay. All right, and then we mentioned the four. The field is set for those four drivers competing for the 2022 title at Phoenix Raceway this weekend, and they include Junior Motorsports teammates Noah Gregson, Josh. Algar, along start with, with Algar, okay? Start with Algar. Yeah. I was just reading the intro part this time. I know. Um, I already did that. <laughs> oh, okay. That was what you went to. Okay, Justin Algar. Here we go. Uh, mentioned driver number seven, Junior Motorsports Chevrolet. Now, Algar could consider himself an Xfinity Series veteran, having competed in the playoffs every year since its inception in 2016. He's had a great season, racking up three wins, coming at Darlington, Nashville, and New Hampshire. And he's got 15 top fives and 22 top tens in his 32 starts. He's led a total of 737 laps this season and managed an average start of 8.9 with an average finish of 10.8. In addition, his season-to-date loop data uh, statistics Statistics look great, including a driver rating of 105.2, which is the fourth best. An average running position is 
8.656, which is fourth best, and a total of 434 fastest laps run, which is third best. Okay, the playoff recap, Algar had a rough start to the round of 12. He posted a 29th place finish at Texas, a 15th place finish at Talladega, and then a 5th place finish at the Charlotte Road Course to advance to the round of 8. But things really turned around in the round of 8 for Barry. I'm sorry. No. When he... This is under the Algauer placing. Okay, for Algauer, when he... When he posted a third-place finish in Las Vegas, a tenth-place finish at Homestead, Miami, and a fifth-place finish in Martinsville, where he clinched his spot in the championship four on points. Al Gower is the only driver in the Xfinity Series to make an appearance in all seven playoffs since 2016. He appeared in the championship four, a series leading five times. And his Phoenix Raceway outlooks looks pretty good, too, as the driver of the number seven Chevrolet has loads of experience on the one-mile track. In 24 starts, he's posted two wins in 2017 and 19, eight top fives, and 16 top tens. He holds the record for most laps completed at 4,815. Algar's crew chief is Jason Burdett, and he's been with Algar for seven of the eight years that he's been a crew chief in the Xfinity Series. Together, these two have 226 starts with 16 wins, 98 top fives, and 156 top tens. Burdett has one stint in the Cup Series in 2007. That was with Dale Jarrett for 14 races. Now we'll talk about his teammate, one of his teammates there that are in this. The number eight at Junior Motorsports is Josh Berry. And he's had an impressive season with three wins coming at Dover, Charlotte, and Las Vegas. 11 top fives and 20 top tens in his 32 starts. He's led a total of 356 laps, managed an average start of 9.4, average finish with 10.7. He's posted positive numbers in the season to date. Luke data statistics, his driver rating 96.3, which is fifth best, an average running position of 10.671, which is seventh best, and a total of 285 fastest laps run, which is fourth best. Okay, recapping his playoffs, Barry had a great start to the playoffs. He posted a sixth-place finish at Texas, a fifth-place at Talladega, and an eighth-place finish on the Charlotte Road Course. He clinched his way into the championship four with a win in the first race in the round of eight at Las Vegas. He followed that with an 11th-place finish at Homestead and a 20th-place finish at Martinsville. The 2022 season marks his first playoff appearance in the Xfinity Series. And that limits his Phoenix uh, Raceway statistics as the driver of the number eight junior motorsport Chevrolet only has two starts at Phoenix. Uh, last season, he, he fell victim to a crash and finished 36, but redeemed himself earlier this season with a third place finish when the Xfinity Series ran there in March. Okay. Josh Berry's crew chief is Mike Bumgarner, 
and he's in his first full-time season with Barry in the number eight team. In his seven years, uh, he has 129 starts in the Xfinity Series, and he helps his teams to win eight different times. He has 38 top fives and 72 top tens. He also has a few Cup Series races under his belt, having ran with Terry Labonte in 2004 and 2006 for select races. Next up, we'll cover the one non-junior motorsports uh, team here, and that's the number 54, Joe Gibbs Racing Toyota of Ty Gibbs. And Gibbs came into his first full-time season in the NASCAR Xfinity Series with a bang, He's posting six wins and came at Las Vegas, Atlanta, Richmond, Road America, Michigan, and then most recently Martinsville. And on the year in the 32 starts, he's had 15 top fives and 22 top tens. He's led a total of 865 laps and managed an average start of 5.6, average finish 9.4. Gibbs has also put up some great season-to-date stats including the driver rating at 112.2, which is second best, average running position of 8.351, which is third best, and then the total of 532 fastest laps run, which is the series best. Recapping his playoff, Gibbs has had a great run in his first-ever Xfinity Series playoffs. He started with a third-place finish at Texas, a seventh-place finish at Talladega, followed by a runner-up finish at the Charlotte Road Course to close out the round of 12. To kick out the round of eight, he finished fourth in Las Vegas, runner-up at Homestead, and made a trip to victory lane in the last race of the round of eight at Martinsville. That clinched his spot into the championship for a round. And when it comes to Phoenix Raceway, driver the number 54, Joe Gibbs Racing Toyota, is another one only has a pair of starts at the one-mile Phoenix track. He posted a runner-up finish last season in the Xfinity Series Phoenix Raceway debut, and he finished sixth earlier this season. Okay, Ty Gibbs' uh, crew chief is Chris Gale, and although this is Gibbs and Gale's first full-time season together, they know each other on the track quite well. Last season, when Gibbs ran part-time schedule, Gale was called to be his crew chief. Now, Gale has both Cup and Xfinity Series experience. He spent five years in the Cup Series, four of those seasons with Eric Jones uh, from 17 to 20 in the Xfinity Series. Uh, in the Xfinity Series, he's had 197 starts over the span of six years, posting 36 wins, 83 top fives, and 132 top tens. Now, here in the Xfinity Series, if I had to say personally there was a favorite, I think this one might be it, but it's going to be close. Uh, good competition. we got the number nine junior motorsport Chevrolet, and that's being driven by Noah Gregson. He's had a standout season, posting eight wins. They've come at Phoenix earlier in the year, Talladega, Pocono, Darlington, Kansas, Bristol, Texas, and then Homestead. He's had a total of 20 top fives and 25 top tens in his 32 starts in the year. He's led a total of 975 laps, maintained an average start of 7.0, average finish at 8.3. In addition, Gregson has posted solid season-to-date 
Its driver rating comes in at 114.0, which is the series best, an average running position of 7.253, which is a series best, and a total of 492 fastest laps run, which was second best. Looking at his playoff recap, Gregson has had a strong playoff run this season. He finished inside the top ten in all six playoff races. He kicked off the round of 12 with a win at Texas, followed with a 10th place finish at Talladega and a third place at the Charlotte Road Course. In the round of eight, he had a runner-up finish at Vegas. He followed that with a win at Homestead, Miami to clinch his spot and a runner-up finish at Las Vegas. That was followed up, um, I'm sorry, I said that uh, out of order there. But uh, he followed that up with his win at Homestead, Miami, to clinch his spot into the championship four round. And then a fourth-place finish at Martinsville just last weekend. The 2022 season marks the fourth playoff appearance from 2019 to 22. It'll be the second time that he's competed in the championship four round in 21 and 22. His first stint was last season when he finished the race in 12th spot, putting him third in the final championship standings. And that puts him as no stranger to Phoenix Raceway as the driver of the number nine JRM. Uh, In seven starts, he's posted one win coming in 2022 earlier in the year, two top fives, and four top tens. Okay, and Gregson's crew chief is Luke Lambert. Lambert is in his first full-time season with Gregson, but had one full-time Xfinity Series uh, season with Elliott Stat. Sadler in 2012. He has 10 years of cup experience, and in his 65 Xfinity Series starts, he's led teams to 12 wins, 35 top fives, and 49 top tens. And that so sets the stage. stage. Yes. Yep, it does. The NASCAR four, or NASCAR Xfinity Series Championship Four that are locked in that we just covered. And it brings the moment we've all been waiting for, championship weekend. Xfinity Series wrapped up their round of eight last weekend at Martinsville and now headed to Phoenix Raceway to determine this year's Xfinity Series champion. All four of the ones we discussed there will vie for the Xfinity Series title championship in the championship race. That will be Saturday, November 5th. It'll be at 6 p.m. Eastern on the USA Network, MRN, and Sirius XM Radio, uh, Channel 90. All four of the drivers are looking for their first NASCAR Xfinity Series championship. I didn't realize that. That's a good deal. In total, there's been 41 NASCAR Xfinity Series races at Phoenix Raceway. It's produced 22 different race winners and 21 different pole winners. William Byron became the track's youngest winner when he snagged the checkered flag in November 2017. He was 19 years, 10 months, and 13 days old. The Biff, Greg Biffle, sits as the track's oldest winner. He made his, the trip to Victory Lane in 2009 at 39 years old, 3 months, and 25 days. And we can't go without talking about Kyle Busch. He has etched his name in the track's record books as he holds the record for the most polls at 10 wins at 11 top 10s at 20 lead lap finishes 23 as well as laps led at 2,234 
He's also tied for the most top fives with Kevin Harvick at 17 each and holds a qualifying record at 138.504 miles per hour. Now, this season, again, marks the third time that Phoenix Raceway will host the NASCAR Series Xfinity Series Championship race running from 2020 to 2022. Uh, same as the Truck Series from 2016 to 2019. The playoff season finale was held at Homestead Miami Speedway before moving to Phoenix in 2020. Since its inception in 2016 for the playoffs, Xfinity Series, five of the six winners in the championship race also claimed the championship that season. Daniel Suarez did it in 2016. Tyler Reddick in 2018 and 19. In 2020, it was Austin Sindrick. And then Daniel Hemrick did it in amazing fashion last year in 2021. So when we look at that, 2016, you mentioned it was Daniel Suarez at Homestead. Cole Custer in 2017 was the one that uh, won the race but not the championship. Then Tyler Reddick in his years, 18 and 19 at Homestead. Austin Sindrick in 2020. And now Daniel Hemrick in 2021, both at Phoenix. And drivers, they'll hit their track for their practice session. That'll be on Friday night, uh, November 4th at 7.05 p.m. Eastern Time, USA Network, and streamed on the NBC Sports app. Qualifying will be on Saturday, November 5th at 2.30 p.m. Eastern Time, but that'll only be on the NBC Sports app. Okay, we're going to go ahead and move on to the NASCAR Cup Series. Uh, they're racing the NASCAR Cup Series Championship at Phoenix Raceway on Sunday, November the 6th, at, with a 3 p.m. Eastern time start. The purse, a whopping $10,542,284. The NBC will carry pre-race coverage starting at 1.30 p.m. and radio coverage on MRN and Sirius XM NASCAR radio. Again, it's 312 miles, so that means 312 laps on the one-mile track. Uh, the first stage is uh, 60 laps, ending on lap 60. The next uh, stage will be 125 laps, ending on lap 185. And the final stage ends on the last lap, lap 312. So uh, we have uh, news here in the Cup Series as well. Well, a big one uh, when it comes to uh, the, all of racing, but the Cup Manufacturers Championship. Uh, Chevrolet has clinched the NASCAR Cup Series Manufacturers Championship for this season. The manufacturer mathematically clinched the title following the race at Homestead Miami Speedway. Chevrolet currently has 19 wins on the 2022 NASCAR Cup Series season. Nine different manufacturers have won the NASCAR Cup Series Manufacturers Championship, and this is Chevrolet's series-leading 41st NASCAR Cup Series Manufacturer Championship. We'll run through those real quick. Uh, mentioned Chevrolet at 41, the most recent, 2021. Ford has 17, the most recent was 2020. Toyota's goes back to 2019 for their most recent, where they have three. The Hudson also has three. Their last one was in 1954. Buick and Dodge each have a pair. Buick's most recent coming in 1982. Dodge in 20, 
has two in the most recent 1975. I really thought, how come Keselowski's Dodge one doesn't rank in there? They didn't win the manufacturers. That was the owner. Sorry. All right. Oldsmobile, uh, Plymouth, and Pontiac each have one. Oldsmobile's was in 19, most recent and only in 1955. Plymouth in 1971, and then Pontiac in 1962. I got confused because this is manufacturers, not the owners' championship. Yeah, Chevrolet, actually, their most recent was this year since they've already clinched it for this season. Um, That's true, too. (laughs) Yes. So the Sunoco Rookie of the Year update, Tim Penske's Austin Sendrick has mathematically clinched the Sunoco Rookie of the Year honors, but will not be officially awarded until he finished the season in good standing per the program guidelines of eligibility. He has uh, 200 and, uh, 200, 2,198 points and 22 awards. Harrison Burton has 555 points, 9 awards, and Todd Gilliland, 523 points and 4 awards. Cindric's rookie campaign kicked off by winning the prestigious Daytona 500, and uh, the following week at Auto Club Speedway, he finished in 12th place, becoming the first rookie in series history to hold the points lead for more than one race. On top of all of that, he earned a spot into the NASCAR Cup Series playoffs and advanced to the round of 12. In 35 starts, Cindric collected one win, five top fives, nine top tens, and his average starting position in 2022 is at 12.6, his average finish at 16.4. He's led 86 laps and has won 22 Sunoco Rookie of the Race awards. We got a chance of a spoiler stealing the show this weekend at Phoenix. Uh, Since the introduction of the win and you're in elimination style playoff format, the eventual champion has won the season finale race, either at Homestead Miami Speedway or Phoenix Raceway, each of the eight previous years. Go Kevin Harvick back in 2014, Kyle Busch in 2015, Jimmy Johnson in 16, Martin Truex Jr. in 2017, Joey Logano in 2018, Kyle Busch in 19, Chase Elliott in 2020, and then Kyle Larson last year in 2021. Now still, with Phoenix Raceway hosting the championship event, there's a chance a driver outside of those championship contention can win the race. The name that rises to the top of the list of the possible spoilers this weekend is the NASCAR Cup Series Phoenix Raceway wins leader, Kevin Harvick. He spent a career mastering the one-mile raceway, putting up nine series victories, including four playoff wins. The Stuart Haas racing driver Harvick failed to make the championship four-round this season, so the California native would like nothing more than to steal a win this weekend. And while we expect Harvick to run this this weekend at Phoenix Raceway, it's his best track. He leads the series, as mentioned, with wins at 9, top 5 is 18, top 10 is 28, laps completed is 12,154, he led 1,663 of those laps, and he has an average finish of 8.7 at the one-mile facility. Another ever, got to watch this weekend, and that'd be Kevin Harvick's Stuart Haas Racing teammate Chase Briscoe. He won the Phoenix Raceway earlier this year. The victory was uh, Briscoe's lone win of the season, 
but the Indiana native put on quite a show to grab the win. He started from the sixth position and led second most laps of the race at 101. Briscoe took the lead from Ryan Blaney with 24 laps to go, but a late caution nearly cost him the win as he had to hold off the field for one final restart and get that victory. Okay, we're going to skip the quotes for now, Jay, and uh, I'm going to go with the season finale, title-clinching performances. And let's go every other driver here. I'll start with Jimmy Johnson, and then we'll move on to Tony Stewart with you. Okay? All right. In 2010, Jimmy Johnson tracks down Denny Hamlin for the fifth straight title. Denny Hamlin held a comfortable 15-point lead on Johnson for the championship heading into the finale. However, Hamlin could not close out the title. Hamlin damaged his Toyota with an early race spin and finished 14th as a result. Harvick, who was third in points entering the race, finished third. Johnson placed runner-up to take home his fifth consecutive championship. We still talk about 2011 as Tony Stewart won his third championship in an epic race. He was trailing leader Carl Edwards by three points entering the 2011 season finale, but Tony Stewart virtually needed a win to capture the title, especially considering that Edwards ultimately finished runner-up in the race. Stewart drove to the front, uh, to the front from the back of the field twice, and edged out Edwards to get the victory lane. The pair finished the season tied in points, but Stewart held that tiebreaker over Edwards for most wins during the season at 5-1. to one. And it was the first title for Stuart Haas racing in the NASCAR Cup Series. Okay, in 2012, Brad Keselowski fins off Jimmy Johnson for his first championship. Keselowski entered the 2012 season finale 20 points ahead of second place Jimmy Johnson in the NASCAR Cup Series playoff standings. Keselowski won two playoff races to help himself in the championship clinching position, but didn't produce his best performance with a 15th place showing at Homestead, Miami. Problems in the pits for Johnson caused the five-time champion to finish 36, and that helped Keselowski to secure his first championship as well as the first title for Team Penske. There was, there was that Dodge victory. Now, in 2013, Jimmy Johnson closed in on Earnhardt and Petty with his sixth title. After building up his points lead on the strength of six wins, 16 top fives, and 23 top tens, Johnson needed to finish 23rd to capture his sixth NASCAR Cup Series championship. Following an incident on a restart just shy of the 200-lap mark, Johnson ended up 23rd when it all sorted itself out. By the end of the race, though, he had worked his way up to finish 9th and earning at Hendrick Motorsports a record 11th championship. In 2014, Harvick rides to two do-or-die victories to earn his first series title. Harvick started the penultimate race of the 14th season, needing a win to get into the championship for Phoenix. He dominated the contest by leading 264 laps to earn victory and a spot into the championship four. After playing mind games throughout the Homestead week and the rest of the field, Harvick held off runner-up Brian Newman to earn his first career Cup Series title and the second for Stuart Haas Racing. 
2015 was a historic one as well as Kyle Busch overcomes injury for improbable comeback. Just nine months after breaking his right leg and fracturing his left foot, Kyle Busch edged out defending champion Kevin Harvick for the Homestead race win in his first NASCAR Cup Series championship. Bush had missed the first 11 races of the season after sustaining injuries in a crash in the season opening NASCAR Xfinity Series race at Daytona. But he came back to win five races in the NASCAR Cup Series that year and cement his name in NASCAR history. 2016, Johnson ties the series record with his seventh championship. Everybody knows the name Jimmy Johnson. He proved once again to not count him out in the Cup Series playoffs. He won his way into the round of eight with a victory at Charlotte, then took the checkered flag of Martinsville to punch his ticket to Homestead. He provided a walk-off win at Homestead to capture his seventh championship, tying NASCAR Hall of Famers Dale Earnhardt and Richard Petty for the Cup Series record. 2017 also lends its mark to history as Martin Truex earns his first championship. He was driving for the Denver-based Furniture Row Racing, turned a career-best season into a championship for the ages. His victory in the Homestead finale was a personal best eighth on the year. He led the final 34 laps and held off a hard-charging Kyle Busch by .681 seconds to earn the trophy hoist. It was an emotional victory, though, with team owner Barney Visser recovering from a recent heart attack back in Denver, as well as Truex's longtime girlfriend, Sherry Pollock's trackside a year after major medical obstacles. In 2018, it was Joey Logano winning his first championship. After qualifying for the championship four in the round of eight opening race in Martinsville, the 28-year-old Logano headed to Homestead, Miami, considered the underdog to 2018's big three of Kyle Busch, Martin Truex, and Kevin Harvick. The threesome, Bush 9, Harvick 8, and Truex 4, won 21 of the first 35 races that year. However, Team Penske driver uh, Logano grabbed his opportunity and took it to the big three, winning the season finale by a sizable 1.7 seconds over Truex, Harvick, and Bush, and taking his career first Cup Series championship trophy, Team Penske's second. In 2019, it was the fifth for JGR and the second for Kyle Busch. After putting up four wins early in the 2019 NASCAR Cup Series season, Kyle Busch went winless for 21 races. He pointed his way into the championship four, but when his back was against the wall, he answered and won the season finale at Homestead Miami Speedway, passing Kevin Harvick in the closing laps and holding off the hard-charging Joe Gibbs Racing teammate Martin Truex by 4.578 seconds to win his second championship. With the feat, Bush became just the second active multiple champion, joining Jimmy Johnson, who had the seven titles. The title was the fifth for Joe Gibbs Racing, uh, Bobby Labonte in 2000, Tony Stewart in 2002 and 5, and then Kyle Busch in 2015 and 19. 
In 2020, Chase Elliott comes from the rear to win his first title at Phoenix. After putting up just two wins during the regular season, Elliott stepped up his game in the playoffs, winning at the Charlotte Road Course to advance to the round of eight, and then winning the penultimate race at Martinsville to earn his spot in the championship four round. Elliott and the nine team would head to Phoenix for the season finale, only to lose their first starting position to multiple pre-race inspection failures. But the setback didn't hold Elliott down. Instead, it made him even more hungry for the title. He methodically worked his way through the field, taking the lead for the first time in the event on lap 79 of 312. Elliott would go on to hold off a hard-charging Keselowski to win the race by 2.740 seconds. And with that feat, Elliott became the seventh active champion. The title was also a series leading 13th for Hendrick Motorsports. Well, and that history got built upon in 2021 as Kyle Larson dominated Phoenix for his first cup championship. The Hendrick Motorsports driver, Larson was dominant all season long, putting up five wins and winning the regular season championship. The California native entered the 2021 playoffs as a number one seed with 52 playoff points. Larson would then proceed to tie Tony Stewart's playoff record for the most wins in a single NASCAR Cup Series postseason run with five more victories, including that season finale at Phoenix Raceway. Larson showed up to the Valley of the Sun as the odds favorite and didn't disappoint. Larson won the pole and then led race high at 107 laps in route to his win and his first NASCAR Cup Series. With his accomplishment, Larson became the eighth active champion at the time uh, prior to Kurt Busch stepping away from full-time racing this season, and the title was then the series-leading 14th for Hendrick Motorsports. Okay, I think from here on out, I'm going to start at the top and move down as time allows, Jay. Uh, All eyes are on Phoenix Raceway for the championship weekend. The anticipation and intensity that has been building over the last 35 races of this season in the Cup Series will culminate this Sunday, November the 6th, in that championship race at Phoenix. Four drivers have earned their way into the series championship four round. Two are former cup champions, including Joy Logano, who won in 2018, and Chase Elliott in 2020. The other two drivers, Christopher Bell and Ross Chastain, are also hoping to add their name in the NASCAR Cup Series champions for the first time. It was announced in March of 2019 that the Cup Series would be moving its playoffs and the championship race from Homestead Miami Speedway, where it had resided since the inception of the playoffs in 2004, to Phoenix Raceway for the first time in 2020. Prior to the 2020 season, Homestead Miami hosted the Cup Series playoff season finale for 16 seasons from 2004 to 19. Phoenix Raceway is just the second track to host the championship race in the Cup Series playoffs. 2022 marks just the third year that the Cup Series championship race will be held at Phoenix Raceway in Phoenix, Arizona since 2020, 21, and now this season. Since the inception of the playoffs, the Cup Series uh, in 2004 
Phoenix Raceway has occupied three different positions on the postseason schedule. In 2004, Phoenix hosted the eighth race in the playoff uh, series. The event was won by NASCAR Hall of Famer Dale Earnhardt Jr. Then from 2005 to 19, 15 seasons, uh, Phoenix Raceway has hosted the penultimate race, ninth in the NASCAR Cup Series playoff schedule. A total of 11 different winners have won the Cup Series playoff races at Phoenix Raceway. Kevin Harvick leads that group with playoff wins at four victories in 2006, 12, 13, and 14. And since hosting the Series championship race, the winner of the race has also won the Cup Series title. Jesse Elliott won at Phoenix on November 8th of 2020, and Kyle Larson won at Phoenix on November 7th of 21. Uh, there's been playoff winners um, since 2004 going to 21. Uh, let's see here. Winners at Phoenix include uh, Dale Earnhardt Jr. in 2004, Kyle Busch in 2005, Kevin Harvick in 2006, Jimmy Johnson three straight years from 2007 to 2009, Carl Edwards in 2010, Casey Kane in 2011, and then it was Kevin Harvick for three straight years from 12, 13, and 14, Dale Earnhardt Jr. in 15, Joe Logano in 16, Matt Kenseth in 17, Kyle Busch in 18, Denny Hamlin in 19, Chase Elliott in 2020, and Kyle Larson in 21. Four non-playoff drivers have won the Cup Series playoff race at Phoenix. In 2005, it was Kyle Busch uh, who won that playoff race. It was the ninth race in the postseason schedule and was ranked 19th in the point standings at the time of his win. In 2011, Casey Kane won the playoff race at Phoenix. Uh, then the ninth race in the postseason schedule, he was ranked 14th in the point standings at the time of his win. In 2015, Dale Earnhardt Jr. won the playoff race at Phoenix. Then again, the ninth race on the schedule, and seventh in the point standings at the time of his win. Dale Earnhardt made the playoffs in 2015, but he was eliminated in the round of 12. In 2017. Matt Kenseth won the Cup Series playoff race at Phoenix, again the ninth race in the postseason schedule, and he was seventh in points at the time of the win. Kenseth again made the playoffs in 17, but he was eliminated in the round of 12. Uh, in the worst finish in a NASCAR Cup Series playoff race at Phoenix by a driver that went on to win the title in the same season was 38th by Jimmy Johnson in 2016. Phoenix occupied that ninth event on the schedule in 2016. In total, Phoenix Raceway has hosted 52 Cup Series races, producing 26 different pole winners and 29 different race winners. The inaugural Cup Series race at Phoenix was held on November 6, 1988, and was won by Hall of Famer Alan Kowicki. Ryan Newman in 2002, 3, 4, and 8, and then Kyle Busch in 2006, 12, 16, and 19, leads the Cup Series in poles uh, at Phoenix Raceway with four each. Of the 26 NASCAR Cup Series uh, pole winners, 
10 are active this this weekend. That includes Kyle Busch, Ryan Blaney, Kevin Harvick, Martin Truex Jr., Denny Hamlin, Kyle Larson, Chase Elliott, Joey Logano, Alex Bowman, and Brad Keselowski. And we're going to have to make that uh, the end of our preview show as we're going to go ahead and be moving on to our NASCAR Hot Topic Sound Off at 10 o'clock uh, Eastern Time. Now, joining us uh, for tonight's Hot Topics, and we have a huge list of Hot Topics to discuss tonight, uh, includes um, Michael Orzel. Welcome to the show, Michael. Hello, good evening. Okay, now I, ha- I know Andy can't make it tonight. I was hoping we'd hear from uh, Tommy, and I don't think Tommy's weighed in yet on whether or not he's available. But since he's not here, I'm going to say he's not available tonight. Well, so let's go. Did Jay say he was going to make it? Jay did say he was going to make it. <laughs> and he is here. All right. So, uh, Michael, yeah, I'm, I'm here. I'm I'm here, Mike. <laughs> okay, let's go ahead and uh, start off our hot topics, Mike, with our first topic of the night. Well, this came out of nowhere, but this uh, this was a tweet from Jordan Bianchi last night, who's about as close to a take it to the bank kind of a source as you can get. Uh, Petty GMS is apparently finalizing a deal for an additional owner to come on board. Who would it be? None other than seven-time champion Jimmy Johnson. Now, this is just a rumor, a leaked story right now, but Petty GMS has scheduled a press conference for tomorrow morning at 9.15. They haven't officially said what the, the subject of that press conference is, but given this leak, it sounds like that we might see a, a new owner announcement for Petty GMS. Okay, Jay, your thoughts? Yeah, there's been more and more reports, not of it officially from the team, other than the release of a news conference scheduled, but uh, a lot of fingers being pointed now at, at what this is. And I, I'm with Mike. I feel like this has kind of come out of nowhere. I know he mentioned in our chat of there was some discussion, I guess, at the time of Jimmy Johnson being part of HMS, and that was an option that was declined, whereas Jeff Gordon took full advantage of it. Um, I think it's great. I, I think it's really weird. If you remember, I don't remember if it was Monday night show or last week, I had said something about Dale Jr. maybe being the one, being that Noah Gregson and Luke Lambert and all this who are coming from Junior Motorsports, that that might be how Junior Motorsports looked to get in was to partner up with, and I used GMS Petty as an example. Um, somebody must have been listening, and Jimmy Johnson said, hey, that sounds like a good idea. I want to do it. <laughs> but... uh I think it's going to be great I, to see Jimmy Johnson. I didn't know that was his desire, but I think he is one that certainly can have an impact. I know Mike put it with the car number. Uh, we'll talk about that in a little bit. But to have two of the seven-time champions partnered up together, that team on the rise the way it is, I, I just think it looks great for the future. And we'll see what kind of uh, partnership it is, uh, if it in, indeed is that. Um, Again, it hasn't been officially announced yet. Um, But I see nothing but upside there uh, when it comes to that. And then uh, I think it gets mentioned that there may be some uh, limited starts for Jimmy Johnson. 
we know he wants to run North Wilkesboro, and I think Mike might want to see him there. <laughs> yeah, this is uh, really a huge announcement that kind of uh, just kind of started leaking out yesterday, and uh, we're hearing more and more about it. Um, I do think uh, it's interesting that you've got Jeff Gordon at Hendrick Motorsports, and now you've got Jimmy Johnson over at GMS Petty Racing. Um, and I'm looking it up. They are uh, they use ECR engines, so they are, this is a Chevy team, and uh, I think that this is. Uh, going to be huge for the Chevy camp, having uh, two past champions, uh, Jeff Gordon, uh, Jimmy Johnson, and uh, Richard Petty, uh, all under that Chevy umbrella. Uh, and what a huge thing this is going to be for Petty GMS Racing, uh, to have Jimmy Johnson, a seven-time champion, along with uh, Richard Petty, uh, behind the scenes here, uh, and, and taking ownership in that organization. You've got Noah Gregson going over there. Uh, it almost makes you think Dale Jr. knew that that was happening, and that's why Noah Gregson ended up over at GMS Petty Racing. Um, and, uh, I think that this is going to be huge for Eric Jones as well. Uh, having uh, Jimmy Johnson uh, as a part ownership in that organization. I thought it was great when GMS came on board. Uh, this makes it really that much greater uh, news uh, for that organization as a whole. And uh, I look for big things uh, from that group in 2023. Mike? Look, Jordan Bianchi owes me a new laptop because I was just scrolling through the Internet Minding my own business yesterday, and I came upon that, and I spit my tea all over my laptop. So I will be submitting the bill to Jordan Bianchi at The Athletic for that one. Because, like you said, we didn't see this coming. Uh, Obviously, he left on good terms, but it sounded like Jimmy Johnson was putting NASCAR behind him and was moving on to do other things. He did the two years in IndyCar. He has since announced he's retiring out of IndyCar. But there was really no strong indication that he was looking to come back into NASCAR in any serious manner, certainly not team ownership. I wouldn't have been surprised to see him jump into like a Project 91 car or some other one-off Jimmy Johnson's just showing up to the track to drive somebody else's race car kind of a deal. I know he had said he was, he was wanting to run the all-star race at North Wilkesboro, and obviously now he's got a venue to do that. But I, I don't know that anybody was really expecting Jimmy to jump in with both feet in the team ownership game. I, we don't know. Maybe we'll find out more tomorrow what role Jimmy Johnson is going to have over there. We know Richard Petty doesn't really he's, – he's more of a figurehead, um, face of the team kind of an owner. My understanding is his day-to-day involvement with the team is pretty limited, which is understandable. Richard's in his 80s. He's doing well for his age, but he's in his 80s. Uh, Jimmy Johnson might end up being a much more involved, much more hands-on type owner that could continue to build that Petty GMS team. The real question mark, and Sharon, you kind of alluded to it, is they use ECR engines right now, which is a Richard Childress product. With Jimmy Johnson's history with Hendrick Motorsports, does that mean that Petty GMS will now become a Hendrick-affiliated team, run Hendrick Motorsports engines, and have that technical alliance with Hendrick Motorsports? The alliances aren't as big of a deal now because of the Gen 7 car, but 
engine uh, building, tuning, performance, as well as all the test data that is developed by these teams is still a pretty good resource to have. So if, uh, if Petty GMS or whatever they want to rename the team with Jimmy Johnson on board, if they have access to that, that could be very helpful. So seeing Jimmy Johnson back on the track in a race car, that'd be cool. Obviously, he's, the last couple of years in NASCAR and his two years in IndyCar weren't great, but you got to respect the man, a seven-time champion. And with that in mind, I really think that NASCAR should make an exception to their numbers-only rule when it comes to car numbering. You know, you'll see in other series where you can have letters appended onto the, to the, to the car number. So let Jimmy Johnson run the 7X car, especially at North Wilkesboro. I think that'd be fitting. Okie doke. Uh, Jay, your follow-up? Well, we got to wait and see from the press conference of, as Mike mentioned, you know, what his role is, what his uh, stake in it is, what his role in it is. Uh, but I do see huge, huge things that could come out of this. Uh, a lot of it would be kind of conjecture or what we think is making sense. I still see then maybe junior motorsports, if they can become a four-car team, being one to bring the other two. I know that doesn't fix the problem of the charters and everything else. So, But I would kind of expect to see at least, even if it isn't an alliance uh, with the engines, as Mike said, uh, a partnership or uh, some sort between Jeff Gordon now working with Hendrick Motorsports and Jimmy Johnson there at GMS. I think that tells you what we talk about track house and the, how the team bought in there, uh, everybody that came to track house, we've seen GMS build their status to this level. If you're seeing somebody like Jimmy Johnson willing to invest, they know what GMS is capable, what they've already done and what they could possibly do by having an endorsement from somebody like Jimmy Johnson. Um, and the last thing I was going to say, Oh, uh, Mike, uh, being that the rule doesn't say it, you put the number seven on there, and you just have an X sponsor next to it, really close like. So there's ways around that. <laughs> okay, now this announcement is going to take place 9:30 a.m. Pacific time, so that's going to be 12:30 a.m. Eastern time, 11:30 Central. Um, and I'm just wondering what the name is going to be. Is it going to be Johnson Petty GMS, Petty Johnson GMS? Um, uh, Petty GMS Johnson. Uh, we'll find all of that out tomorrow during this press conference because, as you said, we're kind of projecting what we think it's going to look like. Uh, but we'll get all of those details tomorrow, and we'll be able to talk about this on Hot Topics again on Monday night, uh, which will be our season finale for Fan for Racing Radio this year. Now, Mike, we talked about it earlier, and I'm going to bring it up real quick right here. Uh, I'm thinking about doing something after December 1st because the Snowflake uh, 100 and the Snowball Derby is taking place on the 1st of December. I'd like to do a review show sometime after that, maybe on Monday or Tuesday the following week, in which we can do another Hot Topic segment as well. And uh, so I'm just mentioning that so you can uh, mark your calendar as well as all, as all of our listeners uh, and be on the lookout for when we come out with that exact date. Sure, I'll keep that in mind. Obviously, I can't commit to anything right now that far out. I don't know what my work schedule is, but if I'm available, I'd be glad to do it. 
I, su- I suppose you want to get into my follow-up for the, the Jimmy Johnson thing then? Yes. Sure. Uh, I think this is actually really, really cool. It really feels like we're entering a new era of NASCAR ownership. You've still got some of the traditional teams that have been around forever, Richard Childress Racing, Joe Gibbs Racing, Hendrick Motorsports. But even Hendrick Motorsports feels like it's in a transition period with Jeff Gordon taking a, a more and more active role there. Yes, obviously, Rick Hendrick is still around, and hopefully he's not going anywhere anytime soon. I wish him the very best of health, but the man's in his 70s. He's had health issues in the past, and Jeff Gordon has definitely become the a much more active and uh, the face of the, the team. And then you've got new teams like 2311 with Denny Hamlin and Michael Jordan really taking up that mantle. Brad Keselowski reinvigorating Ross Fenway Keselowski. Uh, and there's, there's not enough that you can say about Trackhouse with Justin Marks and Pitbull, what they've done with that team. So in that vein of the, the new era of NASCAR ownership and some of these new, energetic, exciting teams that have really taken the sport and, and improved it, I really hope that Jimmy Johnson brings that same thing to Petty GMS. Nothing against their organization. They've actually run surprisingly well, especially Eric Jones in the 43 car. So hopefully getting Jimmy Johnson on board can just continue that positive trajectory and they can become another one of those new era, well-established, great teams that can carry the, the, the entire sport forward for the next several decades to come. Okay, doke Let's... Uh... Move on to our next hot topic, Jay. All right. Uh, I don't know how to go about this one. I think there's several that could tie into it, but Ty Gibbs uh, obviously still in the news. And I'll say, how do we want to put the category? I tie it together with him, and uh, specifically, I, uh, I brought up Noah Gregson's, but. Ty Gibbs had to obviously address the media this week um, with what happened at Martinsville last weekend and going forward. And then Noah Gregson had some replies to it that I, that I think was a huge, huge step in where we see this go into the future. Okay, Mike, your thoughts? Well, we all knew the Ty Gibbs thing was going to be big news this week. Uh, as far as Noah Gregson, uh, I don't know that Noah's got much of a leg to stand on when it comes to on-track maturity. He might not have been as far deep into it as Ty Gibbs, but he's definitely stepped in it plenty of times. He's gotten better this season. He's not as bad, unless you're talking about Sage Karam and the Road America incident. Noah Gregson has been much more focused and disciplined and mature this year with a couple rare exceptions versus last year where the rare exception was Noah was acting like a mature and disciplined race car driver. So hopefully Noah continues to go down that road of, of being at that mature guy, but I don't think he's in the position yet where he can start throwing stones at a guy like Ty Gibbs because I seem to remember a time not too long ago where mild-mannered Harrison Burton was punching Noah Gregson's face because of the things Noah Gregson was doing on the racetrack. So that's neither here nor there. With that said, I don't disagree with Noah. He's right. Ty Gibbs has done nothing to, to encourage the respect of his fellow competitors. In fact, he's actively disrespected his fellow competitors. So why would they 
want to return any kind of respect to him on the racetrack or off the racetrack because it's not just that he races rough and dirty on the racetrack, but he acts like that off the track too. That spoiled, entitled, grandpa's boy kind of persona, it, it bleeds through. And when he tries to say the right things, for example, when he was on the Dale Jr. download, that was a great interview that Dale Jr. had with Ty Gibbs. And Ty said that he wants to he, – he emulates Kyle Larson because Kyle Larson doesn't get into the drama. When Kyle Larson gets – even when Kyle Larson gets taken out by somebody, Kyle doesn't go down there and start throwing fists and get angry and start, start, start fights or anything like that. Kyle just moves on. Well, I'd like to see that out of Ty Gibbs, but I haven't. Anything that Ty Gibbs says now, it just sounds like scripted, handed to him. It's almost like he's reading off of a piece of paper or a teleprompter with the things he's saying, especially this week, about growing up and learning and maturing and, oh, let's, let's, let's throw some, some God in there as well because I guess he's got to smooth things over with those people, which I don't, I don't necessarily blame him. He stepped in it pretty good with them. But there's, there's something that's missing from, from Ty Gibbs, and it's that, that genuineness. You don't feel like you're hearing from Ty Gibbs. You feel like you're hearing from his handlers and his speechwriters and whoever is, is, is treating Ty Gibbs like a sock puppet. That's who you're hearing from in these interviews right now. So Ty's got to find himself as a person, and part of that is he needs to grow up and get some maturity Maybe look at some of the hard lessons that Noah Grayson has learned and apply them maybe before Harrison Burton comes and punches your face. I don't know. But Ty Gibbs has got some learning to do quickly because he's going to be in the Cup Series next year, and he's going to get it pretty hard from those guys. Well, we all know that Ty Gibbs is a very talented driver. However, and we talked about this a little bit on my, on Tuesday night, um, he just doesn't really it, it he looks at things from a very selfish point of view. I want to believe Ty, uh, Ty Gibbs. I want to believe that he's sincere when he says he realizes that what he did was wrong and that he needs to think about things before he does things in the future. Uh, you can't react in the heat of the moment. Uh, you're 20 years old, and you need to be moving beyond that at this point. I know he's young, but he's not a 16-year-old. He's in his 20s now, and he needs to start growing up. Um, I'm hoping that with some of the uh, interviews that I saw him give today, uh, that Grandpa and Dad had a really hard talk with him that we talked about on Tuesday night and that he's kind of seen the error of his ways, and he's going to kind of change his behavior. He wants to emulate Kyle Larson, but he so far has been the exact opposite of, of Kyle Larson. So for him to say that he wants to be like Kyle Larson kind of has a, an echo to it, if you will, uh, because his actions aren't matching up with what his words are saying. And that's the problem with Ty Gibbs. His actions have to match up with his words. And um, if I'm, I'm willing to give him that chance if he can show us a different Ty Gibbs, if he can show us that he has truly learned 
from his mistakes. But the first time he goes out there and he acts exactly the same as he has been in some of these situations, um, then that's all going to sound very hollow or hollow or shallow or however you want to say it. Um, it it's not gonna it's gonna, it's not gonna sit well with anybody. So Ty Gibbs has to figure out how he's gonna match up his words uh, that he gave during the media uh, availability today. He's gotta match up those words with his actions for us to be able to forgive him. Uh, I'm willing to give him that chance. I'm willing to forgive him. I want to forgive him, but. He's got to match up those words with his actions. Jay? Well, I was following along and agreeing with Mike, but then he veered off a little where I, where I disagreed. Uh, I'll address that first, and then I'll try and repeat what Sharon just said in a little bit different way. I'm going to use some specific words. Uh, Mike was saying that, yeah, it, you know, his actions clearly uh, were not the best. Um, and I wanted to say this. I, I meant to bring it up Monday night. Actually, the more I thought about the situation itself on the track, he was in a no-win situation because had he run second and gotten both teams in, we'd be talking about whether or not he manipulated the race and should be penalized like Cole Custer. But I won't go down that road. <laughs> he did what he did. I don't feel, and I think it was Dale Earnhardt Jr. who said that, that the advice he gave him was speak from the heart, not from the script. I do feel like his interviews were from the heart. Now, it is a matter of are they true? Is he going to hold true to them? And this is where we're, I'm going to go into what Sharon was talking about. The word is repentance. And with that is to part. It is not just saying a particular thing. It is going out and doing it, turning around and going away from that action and not doing it again. We all have slip-ups. We all make those mistakes. It is though the... Not it's not a recurring thing, and I know Sharon, you got your your one, two, three steps of it. You know, <laughs> if it's not a habit, it's a once in a while mistake. Understand that. Uh, you know, you mentioned it. He is still young. However, he is coming into a top level, nationally watched sport. You need to step up. You know, um, so. There were a couple of times there where I think he did. I think it was, uh, I want to say it was Ben Rhodes, if I'm not mistaken, came in during his interview and kind of put the nudge to him of, uh, hey, are you walking on water today? And he handled it. So at this point, he's doing the first step. He has acknowledged it, said he is going to change. The second step is following through on it, showing that, not just saying it, but showing it. And we'll have to see how that goes forward. I know we talked about it. I think that maybe part of it is he stay in the Xfinity Series next year and not go to the Cup yet. We'll still have to wait and see where that goes. And on the second go-around, I'll tie into where then Noah Gregson comes in from my perspective. Okay, Mike. Well, you guys are a lot more generous than I am. You guys say you want to believe Ty Gibbs and you think it's coming from the heart. I don't. I don't believe a thing that he's saying. You know why? Because we've heard every single bit of it before. We heard it after Martinsville when he fought with Sam there. We heard it after, what was it, California when he wrecked Ryan Sieg. We heard it after every single other one of these incidents. It's the same thing. 
over and over and over again. I've got to learn. I've got to do better. I've got to be better. He says it every single time, but the behavior doesn't change. And I'm not going to start believing the words until I start seeing the behavior change. Because it's the old fool me once, shame on you. Fool me twice, shame on me. Well, we're like fool me 17 times what Ty gives at this point. At, at some point, there's no amount of words that Ty Gibbs can say, whether they are from the heart or whether they're just fed to him and he's reciting what he was told to say. It doesn't matter. What matters is how he conducts himself on the racetrack and how he treats his fellow competitors. And until I see an improvement there, I'm not going to believe for a second that Ty Gibbs has any intention of changing or improving. You guys, like I said, are a lot more generous than I am. I would like to see Ty Gibbs prove me wrong. Go out there, race a clean race, win a championship on Saturday. That'd be great. Good for you, kid. When you get to the Cup Series, the same thing. Got to to work on that actual improvement on the track. Not the words. It doesn't matter what you say. It matters what you do on the racetrack, how you race your fellow competitors, how you handle when things don't go your way. That's what's going to show me the character that Ty Gibbs is saying that he wants to develop well, I'll believe he's actually developing that character when he conducts himself in a way that is suitable for somebody who wants to be a champion in the second-tier series of NASCAR and compete for a championship at the top level of stock car racing starting next year. He's got to start conducting himself in that way because right now he's not. No, I agree with you, Jay. Or, I'm sorry, Mike. I, I do think his words sound very um, – shallow at this point or they they i i i don't i can't quite find the right word right now but he is he's got to prove to me that he's going to back it up with his actions uh before i can forgive him uh because of exactly what you said we've heard all of this before uh he seems sincere uh in that in the interviews that he had today, but again, we've heard it before. So Jay is is uh, a little more forgiving than I am. My forgiveness will come when I see the actions uh, beyond the words, and uh, I I uh, I really like I say I want to like Ty Gibbs, but he makes it very hard to like him. <laughs> Uh, because of the things that we've seen in the past, where his words didn't match up with what his actions are. That's why when he says that he wants to be like Kyle Larson, his actions don't back that up. Uh, he, he hasn't acted like Kyle Larson. He's acted the exact opposite of Kyle Larson. So, I, I again, it just it doesn't sound sincere to me, I guess, is what I'm looking at. Um, when he says those things because his actions don't match up with his words. So if he wants us to believe him, then I have to see those actions backed up with his, back up what he's saying. Uh, without that, it's just blah, 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 blah. And it gets old really, really fast and nobody's really listening to it because they don't believe it. Uh, so, yeah, I know he 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 probably 
wants to change and all of that, but he's got to he's got to make the commitment and make that change. Like like Jay said, there has to be a repentance, and that repentance includes a change in your behavior. So not making the same mistake over and over again. Uh, and I'm not going to tell you what happens when you keep doing the same things and expect different results. And um, Ty Gibbs has to has to start changing his behavior. Jay? Well, you both led into me uh, real good. And before I start, Sharon, it's, uh, I've got three minutes, uh, so if you want to do the uh, yeah. time check here. Thank you, Jay. Yes, we are at that time of the night uh, that I let our first-time listeners know that we are going to go off the air at exactly 10.30 p.m. Eastern Time. However, we're going to continue our conversation and we'll record that conversation as part of our bonus overtime material on our podcast. I will go out on Twitter at Fan for Racing site and over at Facebook at Fan for Racing Blog and Radio to let you know when the podcast is available and at that point all you have to do is go to the player at fanforacing.com and fast forward to that two hour mark to hear the rest of the conversation uh, so again we don't want anybody to be caught off guard and not know how they can hear uh, the rest of our conversation so we make this announcement every uh, show night uh, just so uh, we keep everybody aware of what's uh, about to happen so with that Jay go ahead with your comments all right. Um, I'm not, I'm not going to give any specific scriptures, but you both hit on it of you're right. The, the repentance, the action has to be shown, but giving the opportunity. Okay. It says that it's easy to love somebody that loves you or love somebody that's good. Uh, it takes real effort to somebody that's maybe not. So with that, and, and I want to read specifically some of the quotes that Noah Gregson gave. Um, and I'm going to tie that in. As I said, I would. He said, I don't like him. Uh, he's speaking what everybody else wants to say. I'm sick and tired of hearing the I'm sorry, I'm trying to learn deal. Uh, it's been two years. He doesn't care. He lives in the fantasy world, or fantasy land. Some others I have heard is the, oh, it's just hard racing, and whether it be daddy's, grandpa's money, a silver spoon. Think back a year back. Those were the same words Noah Gregson was saying, that he coming with, somebody else's money, not his own or whatever. And some of the hard racing uh, quotes. Okay. Have we seen that? And Mike said it. And I wish I had some audio from last year. I'm not going to believe Noah Gregson until he shows it. He showed it. So why are you going to eat crow rather than put the faith in him now? Uh, From like I said, it does appear to be sincere. And so go with that. We'll see if it is. And I understand where, where not just you two, but others are coming from. He hasn't shown it so far. I 100% agree. I think, um, and I say somebody, somebody else uh, made the comment, not just with Grandpa, Grandpa Joe and his dad, but had to have that sit down, come to Jesus meeting. And from what the statements he, he, he did throughout the week, even like I said, Ben Rhodes kind of came in and, and took a little jab at him. The other thing I look at from Noah Gregson's side, um, I, I put this in there to Mike. I think Mike was the one I was replying with. You know, for him to be the one saying it, I don't think is right. He should be the one to say, hey, I just went through this last year. Let me, show it. Let me tell you how I had to go about it. Let me tell you what I went through. Great. I've changed. 
be a mentor and a leader, especially as he's moving up to the Cup Series. We're talking about GMS Petty Racing. Step up and be a leader rather than, and I, you know, everybody here knows, I've been a Noah Gregson fan. I'm not particularly happy with how he's handling himself. This situation had nothing to do with him. It really didn't. Um, you know, because he's moving on to the Cup Series. Brandon Jones is the one that involved. He's moving over to Junior Motorsports in his spot. So it really has nothing to do with him other than he's the one trying to already say, hey, if you're going to act like that at the Cup Series, we're going to take care of it. Well, hold up. You aren't in the Cup Series yet, so, you know, hold your horses. Um, I think Noah is on that edge of regressing um, by going down that road. But on the other hand, it could also be this is one he is battling Ty Gibbs for the Xfinity Series playoffs. I think he might be pulling a little Kevin Harvick here and getting in his head. I think that's exactly right. Uh, but I also agree with all, everything that you said about he was in this position. He should be uh, being a mentor. But I can also understand why he wouldn't want to be a mentor at this point, having dumped uh, his few, uh, the guy that's going to be taking his seat. Um, but let's go ahead and move on. Uh, you, everybody made really good points there. Okay, Mike, what's our next hot topic? Well, I'm going to be the guy who brings up good news this time, which is unusual, but I'm going to do it. Uh, we all saw, or at least if you're watching the race on Sunday, we saw Tyler Reddick withdraw about midway through the race, which, by the way, huge kudos to Richard Childress, his owner. Uh, Richard Childress came on the radio. As soon as Tyler said he wasn't feeling well, Richard said, bring it in, park it. Your health is important. Park the car. We'll see if we can find somebody else. They didn't. So the eight car withdrew because Tyler Reddick wasn't feeling well. He said his head was not feeling right all week after his collision at Homestead the week prior. And after he rear-ended somebody on a restart, he said his, uh, his head just was not feeling right ever since. There were concerns that he had a concussion or concussion-like symptoms. However, he was checked and released from the Infield Care Center at Martinsville and then announced after, uh, I think it was yesterday, after some further evaluation that he is cleared and will be able to run Phoenix this weekend. So hopefully Tyler Reddick out of the woods with a concussion scare. Okay. Yeah, I was a little, a little bit surprised that there wasn't more given with this, both during the race. I know they talked about it, and Mike is 100% right there. Um, all that – I don't, I don't even know if I can use the word animosity, but there were some hurt feelings and bad things with the way the Tyler Reddick deal went down, uh, his announcement, and then the buyout of the contract. But you're right. You heard Richard Childress say it, and you could tell it was meant. He said health is most important. When it comes down to that, you set all of that aside. Um, you know, and he was there, and, and actually, I don't know if he helped him out of the car, but was right there with him when he got out of the car, gave him a hug as he went to the uh, – Go, a golf cart there to go to the infield care center. And he made that call of if the car has to sit, the car sits. You know, if you feel you need to get out, get out. Um, there, there wasn't any question. That the, the question of finding somebody else came after the fact, not ride it until we can find somebody or, you know, push it as far as you can. He said, hey, if you got to get out and bring it in. Um, with that too here with the, the release of he did get checked and, and followed up. Um, again, not a whole lot of details, but it is a good thing. As Mike said, it definitely is a good thing. Uh, I don't know if it was the, the not just the, I think it, all I heard was headache 
and then they did link it back to uh, he did have the, the hit at Homestead. Um, so I don't know if that is even what it did pertain to, but he did have some type of condition, whatever, on that day and needed to come out of the car, and they made it happen. So uh, kudos on that. Absolutely. I know there's been some uh, bad blood, if you will, with Tyler Reddick signing with Richard Childress Racing and then uh, into this first season. Uh, is it first or second year he's with uh, RCR? Anyway, into this season is when he made an announcement that uh, after his contract was over with uh, RCR that he would move on and race at 2311. And uh, uh, so now uh, Richard was pretty upset with that, uh, understandably so. Uh, He brought in Kyle Bush to take that seat and relieve Tyler Reddick of his contract so that he can move over to the new team uh, as soon as next season. So I think that... Even though there's bad blood there, Richard Childress is a human being and has um, has a heart that he's he understands that a person's health is more important than any bad feelings, and uh, uh, I I uh, think that's what any owner would do under those circumstances. I'd like to think that in a way that every owner would would uh, put the person's health uh, before anything else. And uh, uh, I think uh, what he did was uh, a really good thing. He was right there to support the driver and uh, to support him in his situation. Uh, I did think it was interesting, though, uh, that in his uh, tweet, he said, after further evaluation, I'm very excited to say that I'm cleared to return to racing. I'd like to thank NASCAR. I'd like to give thanks to NASCAR and their team for what they've done this week to make sure I'm 100%. See everyone at Phoenix. It's interesting that Tyler uh, mentioned NASCAR but did not mention RC uh, Richard Childress uh, in that statement. So uh, I, as much as I think Richard Childress uh, did the right thing and as a human being had compassion for what was happening for Tyler Reddick, uh, I think it's interesting that Tyler Reddick did not mention him in his uh, tweet. So, Mike? Well, either I don't think it was an intentional snub on, on Tyler Reddick's part or anything like that. So I wouldn't, I wouldn't read too much into that. Maybe I'm wrong, but that, I, didn't, I didn't see any kind of a snub or, or like, you know, the social finger raised or anything like that. With regard to the, the previous wreck at Homestead, this is what kind of had me concerned. There's been a lot of focus on the rear of the car and rear impacts that have led to some of the concussions we've seen. Uh, Both Kurt Busch and Alex Bowman, their concussions were suffered during a rear impact on the car. Tyler Reddick was different. He went into the uh, the inside wall at Homestead nose first, and it was a hard hit. I think the, the rear wheels of the car just about got off the ground. He hit that inside wall so hard with the front of the car. So the fact that Tyler Reddick was showing... Uh, I don't, I'm not going to say concussion-like symptoms because he's obviously been clear, but he didn't feel well enough to continue in last weekend's race as a lingering result of a front-end impact on there. I'm hoping that's just an isolated thing and not an indication of things to come, but it was definitely a cause for concern, realizing that 
all this focus has been on the rear and redesigning the rear of the car. There may be work to do on the front as well. Definitely something to keep an eye on. But overall, very happy to see Tyler Reddick be able to finish his time with Richard Childress Racing in the race car as opposed to sitting out because of an injury. Yes, indeed. Jay? Yeah, the, the overall process is good. And, you know, the fact that in the old days that you really didn't even have that option of pulling off or skipping a race or whatever. And, and I think that's where I'm with Mike. I That Tyler Reddick was saying NASCAR has put the protocol in place. They give you the option of, uh, you know, being eligible to get a waiver um, for any races you miss. And I, I don't know the exact level. I know most of them still go to a personal doctor, but it's the NASCAR team that still does the final evaluation as to returning to the track. So that's kind of where I thought it was, it was of whatever protocol that he goes through in the NASCAR rule book of medical, as far as that goes, I guess. Um, so I think that's where he was saying, hey, they did, they're doing a great job with following up um, on that. Not that Richard Childress didn't, and if he had a personal doctor, I don't know that it would be a, a RCR team doctor. Um, the one thing I think we need to look at, though, is, and especially with this one, because uh, as Mike mentioned, it wasn't a, a rear end hit. It isn't always just that one hit uh, of that. It has been, and I'm trying. I was trying to think of if Tyler Reddick has had any throughout the rest of the year, um, or in previous years of really bad ones. Of a small bump can be what sets the puts tips the scales, the the, the straw that breaks the camel's back. So it isn't just about one hit, whether it be rear end or, or a front end. Now with the rear end, they did look at it and say, hey, the rear end's a little stiff. It's not giving like the old car used to. Um, so it, it may be, especially if it is repeated, but I know we most recently, we saw the front end hit at Homestead, but like I said, that might just be the, the tipping of the scale that whatever was there was already there. And it may not have to do with any of it. The fact that he has been immediately cleared and we've seen the others, Alex Bowman, um, wasn't as long as Kurt Busch has been that maybe it was something else. Maybe it was just a total dehydration or had a, a bug in him, you know, something else. Um, my thought, normally when you talk about the headache, and especially if you're feeling it like that, my concern with that goes back to, and I'm trying to think of a couple of drivers, Lake Speed, Ernie Irvin, and Jerry Nadeau with the, I can't think of the word, the fumes in the cockpit or something to that effect, because that's normally what causes the headache. Um What's the right word there? I can't think of it. I know what you're talking Asphyxiation or... There you um, go. Yeah, it's some, it's some type of uh, with, the, with the gas getting to you. When they mm-hmm. mentioned headache, that was where my concern went was, was with that. And we have seen that in the past in the, in the cup level. Yeah. Carbon I would monoxide. Have to, there you go, carbon monoxide. Yeah, um... Yeah, I would have to agree with you. Usually a concussion uh, that takes you out of the seat uh, is not just one hit. It's a multitude of hits. It's multiple hits uh, that have an impact on you. Uh, and uh, 
Tyler Reddick may have some uh, other hits this year. I don't think that's the only time he's been hit. As far as the front end of the car versus the back end of the car that they've been looking at, I think what this does is it causes NASCAR to take a look at the front end of the car, but I think they also need to look at uh, the carbon monoxide uh, side of that as well because both of those things, uh, need to be checked to make sure that nobody else has a problem with a front end hit or a carbon monoxide uh, leak, uh, if, if that's the case for Tyler Reddick. But um, one thing I am certain of is NASCAR is looking at it very closely. I'm sure they tore that car apart uh, looking at it after the race. And... Uh, uh, there's going to be input from Tyler as well as uh, the team uh, so that they can avoid any any uh, future things. I'm not going to say that it's going to be perfect in the future because it's, it's certainly never been perfect and it's not going to start being perfect uh, from this point forward. But I do know that NASCAR is doing everything they can to try to fix any problems, identify and fix any problems with the next-gen car. Mike? Your final thoughts? Yeah, either way, uh, definitely, like you said, it's it's still a work in progress. It's something to look at. He did have that front-end damage that he had in, before he started feeling symptoms. Everyone was thinking, myself included, everyone was thinking it was impact-related, but you're right. Uh, the front-end damage may have changed the airflow into some of the driver ventilation ducts or something like that or cracked some of the paneling that then allowed some of the fumes from the car or outside of the car to get into the driver's cabin, and, and that might have been part of the problem as well. I don't know. I'm not a doctor. I, obviously, I didn't examine Tyler. I don't know anything beyond what was reported both in the race broadcast and on social media afterwards, so it's all speculation on my part. But you're right. I hadn't really even considered the possibility that it wasn't impact-related at all. It could have just been smoke and fume inhalation, which you're right. That'll mess you up pretty bad as well. And it can cause headaches, symptoms, and whatnot. We're all really on guard for a concussion right now, which is part of the reason why everyone started looking at the impact. But, you know, the, the, the fume thing is just as, as viable of a thought. Either way, like I said, very glad to see Tyler Reddick is okay and ready to race this weekend. Yes, indeed. We're happy to see him back at the track. Okay, Jay, one last topic. All right, and I know, Sharon, you put this one up, and I was trying to look at the – here we go. It's got both numbers on it from chicagobusiness.com. Uh, Adam Stern tweeted, NASCAR says it'll spend $50 million, $50 million to set up and run the uh, NASCAR Chicago street race. Uh, and then the Chicago Business article says the NASCAR says downtown race worth $113.8 million to Chicago's economy. Okay, uh, Mike, your thoughts? Those are some mighty big numbers. Uh, it's, we thought it was a lot of money that they were sinking into the L.A. Coliseum. I think it was something like $10 million to put up the, the track at the L.A. Coliseum for the clash, and this blows that right out of the water. And this is for a temporary street course that we don't know it's going to be more than just a one-year kind of a deal. The, apparently the Chicago, the city government, there's been some people who felt like they, their toes got stepped on on this deal, and they might not be so quick to approve next year or I guess 2024 
uh, NASCAR coming back to there. So this is a lot of investment that NASCAR is putting into the Chicago street course. Hopefully it pays off and, and they put on a good show. And if they don't get to come back to Chicago, at least they learn some things to do in a place like Denver or Seattle or some of the other cities that they've talked about potentially doing a street course in. Chicago can kind of be the prototype and they can, they can use some of those lessons later on in the game. Either way, that's a couple really big projects that NASCAR has got going right now. Cause don't forget while they're setting up to do Chicago, they're going to do the clash again in the LA Coliseum for the opening of the season in February. And Oh, by the way, they're trying to revive North Wilkesboro speedway to run the all-star race there. So those are some pretty three really, really big expensive construction or uh, refurbishment projects that NASCAR is running all at the same time. Hopefully it all works out for them. But this is probably the biggest construction, uh, I don't want to say project or or whatever you want to call it, the biggest construction thing that NASCAR's had going since probably the 90s when SMI was putting in all the mile and a halfs across the country. There's a lot to to, to uh, to do here. I can't speak English all of a sudden. Uh, There's a lot to do here, but I, I got faith that they'll be able to pull it off. Yeah, I, I hope you're right. I, I've had my doubts about the Chicago street race. Uh, I knew there was going to be some pushback uh, within the community, and I don't think it's just the politi- pol- politics uh, that they're getting pushback. I think that there's pushback uh, from the businesses and and everything. Now, they stand to benefit, obviously, when you talk about $113.8 million, uh as a boost to the Chicago economy. But um, uh, I do think that uh, I, I just have doubts on how people are going to be able to watch this and the safety of it and, and everything else. I, I, I'm kind of uh, skeptical of this race. And um, I'm I'm excited for it at the same time. I mean, I want it to be successful. I'm, I feel like I'm talking out of two sides of my mouth here, but um, I, I I want it to be successful. I think it would be great if it is successful, but there is a lot that they are going to have to deal with to make this uh, come off the way they want it to come off. And uh, a $50 million investment is a pretty huge investment to the Chicago street race. Uh, It's on the Chicago streets, and they've got it all mapped out and everything. Uh, Basically, it's around Grant Park. Um, But... um, Again, I think visibility is going to be limited. It's going to be like a road course. Uh, they're not going to be able to see all of the track, um, and visibility is going to be limited. I see a lot of people maybe watching this race uh, from a bar, but the problem with that is people being able to get to the bar because uh, there's going to be a lot of streets that are closed off in order to make this race happen, and I think it's going to tie up the traffic around the Chicago area there uh, to a degree that we've never seen before. So, And it's for a two-week period that I think is really going to tick off a few people, especially those people that work uh, in that downtown area. But, you know, we'll wait and see what happens. I hope it's just as successful as the Coliseum is. I really, really do. I just have my doubts about how that's going to come off, so how it's going to happen. Um, we'll see. 
I, I like to wait and see what happens. <laughs> but, uh, Jay, what are your thoughts? Well, and I'm with you, Sharon, of understanding that. My biggest thing is, is and the one that got left off the list there when Mike was talking about projects, you're also still putting dirt on uh, Bristol uh, for for the one race uh, for the year. Um, so that's another one that, that that costs a good chunk of money. Now, obviously, they feel the return on what they've gotten is good. But those, it's you get your money back by ticket sales. How are you going to sell a road course you still have within an area you still charge to get into said area? So on a street course, how do you charge ticket sales, which is where NASCAR would recoup their money? Um, that's what, what concerns, like you said, and then fans as far as liking it or not, whether or not where you can get to to even see the race. You know, again, on a race, you can sit in a couple of spots normally where you can see several parts of the track or across because it's open. And you're downtown in the city, you don't have that. Um, you can't charge. I know, and I just think of even specifically in Chicago, the apartment buildings across the, the road from Wrigley Field, you can't stop people from sitting on their roofs and watching it. So where does the generated revenue come from? The good thing I see of this, if somehow it's the city that's paying for a portion of that back to NASCAR versus uh, individual ticket sales, if these numbers are true, you're spending $50 million, whatever you get back, it's a one point, or what did I say, $118.8 million um, impact on the city. And I think about other sports. When you talk about teams or cities, when they vie for and contend for the Super Bowl, uh, you know, not everybody's a fan of wrestling, but WrestleMania, I've heard some numbers on that of what the impact, financial impact on a city is for that. So the city is willing to pay a certain amount to bring it in. That is one that NASCAR could do on a rotating basis. Of if it works well and they have, I know they're limited on then cities and the way it'd work, but we saw IndyCar do it at Nashville, Chicago. I think that's where they want to maybe go up to New York and be able to do it. That is one that every year could change. And I like that thought process if it's viable. Um, and, and you will see here after the Chicago one of what other cities would be willing to say, hey, we want to take a shot at it because that is one that would be different every year. It's going to be a street course. Where is it going to be? Okay, Mike. Sharon, I share your concerns about this race. Uh, I want it to be successful. I really, really hope it is successful. But I'm looking at the IndyCar race that they've run on the Nashville streets for the past two years. Now, granted, we're talking about a different type of car, and the national course is set up much tighter than the NASCAR course is set up in Chicago, but it kind of illustrates the limitations and difficulties that you can have with a street course. I'm concerned with the, the way that that race course is going to go. We're going to see. I, I was concerned about the Charlotte Roval a few years ago, too, and that turned out to be pretty, pretty decent this year, notwithstanding. But generally, the Charlotte Roval has turned out to be a, a pretty successful deal. So, I would, I would love to eat my words. I've got quite the taste for crow right now as of, as of this season. So why not serve up another helping? But I'm with you, Sharon. I'm, I'm at best cautiously optimistic about the Chicago street course. I'm waiting to see more details about how this is going to go because Jay brings up a really good point about the logistics of spectators. You don't have a lot of room for grandstands. Anything you put up there is going to have to be temporary 
and it can't damage the area that they're surrounding it. So they can't just put up 50,000 feet somewhere, drill into the, the pavement of the sidewalk or something like that. That's not viable. So the logistics of it's going to be very difficult. I got faith that NASCAR's got some really smart people working on it, but there's a lot to do, and there's only about six months to pull this thing off. We're going to have to see. There's going to be some more details. Maybe that December show we'll have some more to talk about on this one. Oh, yes, indeed. Well, um, I'll tell you what. Uh, on the other side of this, I do know that NASCAR's indicated that the ticket sales have been to primarily new fans, which is part of why they're doing something like this. They're trying to attract a new fan base. And if that's what they're trying to do and they're getting the new fans, uh, that's all good and well. I just have to wonder if those new fans will translate into uh, continued viewership or if it's just a one-off to see the street, street race and to see how that uh, all kind of comes together. Um, uh, and I'm anxious to see how that ends up at the end. If they sell out whatever they feel is going to be their base uh, ticket uh, number and uh, if what that demographic is, if it's the new fan base or if it, that 18 to 25 age, is that the group that you say we're missing, Jay or Mike? Um, 18 to 49. I, 18 to 49. Uh, I'm kind of anxious to see what that demographic is in the end of ticket sales for this uh, because if they're going after that new fan base and that 18 to 49 demographic, this might be the route to go. But, I, again, I want to see how it translates uh, into continued viewership beyond the street race. So we'll have to wait and see. Uh, cautiously optimistic is a good Good way to put it, Mike. Jay? Well, your, your guys' concerns there, and I know I brought up the, uh, the recouping of, of revenue from NASCAR side. My concern when it comes to a street course is that of on-street competition. When you look at a road course, you get a little too wide. Somebody goes off in the grass, comes back on, or, or whatever, um, on a street course, you're much more limited, and that's what I don't want to see. I know with IndyCar and what limited watching I do of IndyCar or other road course race or street course racing, let me get makes me, it's clear there, street course racing is it's a lot of follow the leader with only one or two spots to pass, and that's what concerns me as far as is the on track, which would then lead to the interest in it and the revenue generated and where they can do it elsewhere. Um, so that too, I, I'm trying to hold that back and wait and see how they have the, the full layout, what kind of passing opportunities side-by-side -side racing there can be. Because um, it's way above my even thought process of imagining it. Um, we'll have to see. And I hope, like Mike, I think I was one that was pretty adamant that the whole Roval thing wasn't going to work. And, yeah, I definitely had to eat the words on that because it came out real well. Yeah, I hope you guys bring up uh, really good points. I hope uh, I hope we do our eating our words when it's all said and done and that it all goes well. Okay, uh, we're coming up at the top of the hour here, and it is time for us to say good night. Uh, but first I want to say uh, uh, this is our final 
uh, Thursday night show for previewing uh, the races this season. Uh, our final show is going to be Monday night when we review all of the championship races at uh, Phoenix. And, uh, again, Monday at uh, 8.30 p.m. Eastern Time, we will be on air for that final show. Uh, and, of course, we'll have our hot topics that night as well for our final hot topics. However, uh, I am thinking about uh, having a review of the uh, Snowball Derby and the Snowflake 100. Uh, that race is around December the 1st, so watch for information uh, about another show coming up uh, sometime early in December, uh, and we'll try to keep it around the same time frame, uh, and we'll include our Hot Topic Sound Off discussion as well. So, um, again, a thank you to our listeners for tuning in, whether it's the live broadcast or the podcast. We appreciate you taking time to listen to what we have to say. And, again, we hope you enjoy it as much as we enjoy doing it. Um, and uh, a big thank you to our fan for racing crew. Tonight it's just two of you here with uh, Jay Huseman and Michael Orzel. Always appreciate what our fan for racing crew does. And, uh, uh, Jay, you've been a good co-host uh, on Thursday nights. I know we'll look forward to doing it again in the 2023 season uh, as well as uh, those one-offs. Uh, between now and when the 2023 season starts. So um, with that, uh, I'm looking forward to the races this weekend at Phoenix. Uh, always look forward to uh, the hype that uh, is around the championship for a weekend, and uh, I can't wait to find out who our champions are going to be uh, in the four series that are racing this weekend. So um, with that, I Let's go ahead and do our roundtable. I forgot to do the roundtable. Mike, we'll start with you. <laughs> I went. First. I was wondering if you're going to come back around to this thing. Uh, it's Mike underscore Orzel on Elon Musk's Bird app, and Mike double underscore O on Reddit. I didn't bring this up as an independent hot topic, but we did talk about ticket sales and interest and and getting fans to the racetrack. Well, in oh, the span yeah. of a less in the span of less than three hours. Every single ticket for the NASCAR All-Star Race at North Wilkesboro Speedway in 2023 sold out. And ladies and gentlemen, I got them. I'm going to North Wilkesboro next year, and I cannot be more excited. So there was a furious, fast-clicking contest, and I managed to get the tickets. I am so pumped to go to North Wilkesboro, and I do hope I'll be on the show on Monday. I'm, I'm, I'm scheduled to be on standby for work, so maybe, maybe not. If they don't call me in, I'll be on the show. If not, I wish you all the very, very best, and I'll talk to you the next time I talk to you. Okay. Well, I'm excited for you, Mike. I hope you have a really good time out there at North Wilkesboro Speedway. Jay? Yeah, that's great to hear. I know how those clicking contests go, so I'm glad to hear that you came out on a good end of that. Uh, you can follow me on Facebook, Michael Hoosman, MoparMJ8 on Twitter and Instagram. And, Mike, if you're not here on Monday, I'll make sure you still get your helping a crow, uh, at least via my part. <laughs> <laughs> okay, I already did my spiel, so I guess we're ready to call it a night, guys. All right, uh, good, night, good, night. good night, everybody. Enjoy your race weekend.
Join us today during the Jeep Celebration event. Right now, get 20% below MSRP for an average of 15178 under MSRP on the purchase of a 2023 Jeep Grand Cherokee Overland 4xe or Summit 4xe. Not compatible with lease offers or with any other consumer incentive of offers. 15178 average based on 20% below average MSRP from all 2023 Grand Cherokee Overland 4xe and Summit 4xe models in dealer stock. Residency restrictions apply. Take retail delivery from dealer stock by 4-1. Jeep is a registered trademark. Don't you love an extra $100 in your pocket? Have a TurboTax expert file your taxes for you by March 31st to get $100 back instantly. Because no matter what moves you made last year, TurboTax makes them count. That means getting $100 back and 100% accurate taxes only from Intuit TurboTax. Must file by 331. Credit only applicable to federal filing fees with TurboTax full service. Offer can be modified or terminated at any time. 